on today's show. We are getting to know Darby. But first, a word from today's sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Without a healthy mind, being truly happy and at peace is hard. The good news is therapy works. What is therapy exactly? It's whatever you want it to be. Maybe you're not feeling motivated right now and would like some tools to help, or maybe you're feeling insecure in relationships or at work, not dealing well with stress. Whatever you need, it's time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles and to start feeling better because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chatting sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself because you are your greatest asset. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Getting to Know You Pod listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash getting the number two. No, the letter U, just like the pod's name. That's betterhelp.com slash getting to know you. Link in the pod's description. AndrePsyche.com is gone, but Andre Psyche, the man on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, is alive and thriving. You're going to want to go follow and message Andre. Why? Because he is the freelance creator extraordinaire, someone who makes poetry, music, art, clothing, and lives to make others feel good. Search him up. It's Andre Psyche the next time you're looking to add some creative stimulation to your social media circle. Listeners, listen up. Get 25% off your order at ShadyRays.com by using the promo code GETTING. Use getting, G-E-T-T-I-N-G, when checking out to get 25% off on the best sunglasses around. Shady Rays takes extreme pride in their multi-layered lens technology made for high visibility and strength to be shadow resistant. And with free shipping and a lifetime lost or broken protection, why would you choose any other brand? Go get you a pair or two by going to ShadyRays.com, perusing their polarized sunglasses, and then using the promo code GETTING when you check out to save 25% on your order. Support the Getting to Know You Pod's creative endeavors for as little as $2 a month on our Patreon. That's right, this podcast has a Patreon, and you, dear listeners, can support our creative endeavors. Your money will go towards the cost of producing, distributing, and improving the quality of this podcast. Again, you can go to our Patreon, that link is in the description, and for as little as $2 a month, you can have a part in supporting the Getting to Know You Pod's mission, of getting to know all sorts of new and interesting people. Two bucks a little too much? Well, here are three free ways to help. Push the subscribe button on whatever app you're listening to us on. Friend or follow the pod on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Go to Apple. Write a review. These will cost nothing but your time and will mean so much to the pod's growth. And now, getting to know you. Getting to know you, getting to know all about you. I'm going to do a terrific show today. Getting to like you, getting to hope you like me. Because I'm good enough. Getting to know you, putting it my way, but nicely. I'm smart enough. You are precisely. And doggone it. Like 
Darby, who is an amazing chair dancer and enjoys the graveyard shift. Thank you so much, Darby, for um, coming on, letting people get to know you. I really appreciate it. Hello. Hi. <laughs> it is 8 a.m. The sun is shining. I'm on a porch. I'm wearing a Gaber headset in the sunshine, which feels extremely irreverent. Yeah. And I'm glad to be here. I was wondering about the headset. I didn't know if this was like a serious thing or if you just found that on a thrift shop on your way home from No, work. this is this is my dad's. <laughs> <laughs> it actually still has two uh, two plugs, like one for a microphone and one for like the headphones, you know? Oh, right. <laughs> so it's 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 a bit um, as you can see a bit antiquated, but I think it's very charming. It's the job. <laughs> very charming headgear. No doubt. It's a great accessory. You should um, maybe cut the cord <laughs> off and just roll with it here and there. Drive. Make people think you're some sort of like advanced tesla driver <laughs> or maybe the, i guess it would be the original probably not advanced but something yeah. like that <laughs> um so the whole and i forget how because i think it's been what like a month and a half of us trying to figure out a time to like come on and i can't I like even, that. right i i thought i came across one of your tweets from somebody but my favorite line in your twitter is like Come for the TNA, stay for the Q&A? I think I'm very funny for having come up with that. So thank you for enjoying it. <laughs> um, I, yeah, uh, I understand. Um, well, those of us watching along at home, I'm, I'm all right looking. And uh, so, and I'm, I'm sort of like a bimbo without even meaning to be. So, <clears throat> yeah, but, you know, I contain multitudes. So, I, you know, it's always like my joke. You know, people come, they, they think I'm attractive or whatever, and then they spend 20 minutes with me, and they're like, oh, okay, she's, like, interesting also. Gotcha. So you thirst trap people to get in, just to get followers, and then all of a sudden it's, oh, yeah. you're staying for the mind. Yeah, for sure. No, I, I really never intended to be, like, a Twitter personality or whatever. It just sort of happened. Uh, my best friend, Ken, followed, I believe it was a, a Smash player, actually, who followed QC and Ayla, and... Ken would get interested in what he was, you know, tweeting from them or whatever, and then he would send it to me. And so finally, I was like, okay, well, I'll hop on Twitter, my old dead Twitter account that I never used, you know, and just see what's what. And then I was like, well, everybody else is just kind of shouting into the void. I guess I'm kind of shouting into the void too. And uh, I don't know, people like it when pretty girls shout into the void. I guess <laughs> it, it kind of is an interesting. It, it's something I've picked up on. I've noticed the pretty smart girl with a shit ton of followers. Yeah. And I really think I didn't realize that was a thing on Twitter because I had just followed like sports people and like news places originally um, mm -hmm. before like doing the podcast. And now doing the podcast, you just randomly try to someone like retweets someone else's tweet and you're like, oh, shit. And then you start going down rabbit holes about who they follow, who they like and all that. Right. And then you just randomly message people to get them on the podcast. And right. I've come across that phenomenon that you're describing. I had no idea. Do you think like <laughs> it's just like Twitter people are perverted and they're looking for... Easy I think what is it? About? I wouldn't say that it's specific to Twitter people. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so true. Just but I do think I do think this is kind of like playing Twitter on easy mode a little bit. You think so? Yeah, it doesn't hurt. I mean, it certainly doesn't hurt. And I, you know, I foolishly was a face account from the start, so I have no anonymity. Uh, I came in like as a lurker, and so I was felt comfortable wearing my face because I didn't really say anything. I was just watching. And then when I started engaging, I didn't think maybe switch to some level of anonymity. So. I've got some semblance of my real name on there and I've, you know, on a certain level and uh, my real face. So 
I guess whatever I say, I have to live and die by now. So. <laughs> yeah, so that's interesting too, the anonymity. And I, I'm so proud of myself that I was able to say that word um, without stuttering. If, it, if we were recording at night and I was drinking, it'd be over. Um, but like, why, why does that matter? Because that seems kind of trollish. And I'm not trolling you, but like to just oh, yeah. spout off a bunch of shit and like not be held accountable. Isn't that what everyone hates about the internet? I think so. I think what's interesting about this little corner of uh, people call it post-rap Twitter. Ken and I call it gray pill Twitter. It's got, it goes by many names. But part of it is the idea that uh, you are comfortable, you should be, you should feel comfortable in the community to say whatever you want, even if that's wrong or problematic or whatever. And so, you know, I've, I've said some things like I, I grew up in like a cradle of like a third wave feminism, you know, and I have some critiques about the things that I was taught and, and learned during that era. So uh, I've been like critical some things that if, if like you were to put them in, on mass Twitter, you know, like if that guy had a hundred thousand retweets or something, it would be, you know, a shit spot. But, uh, you know, in the community, it's for the most part pretty safe and things don't tend to get out of it too much. So it's sort of, that's sort of like a safety mechanism. If you do say something that gets a little bit, uh, edgy, I might say, uh, you, you are somewhat protected. I understand the inclination. I personally, I don't know. God didn't give me the space to hide behind the photo of another person. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So. It's like, all I can think of, it doesn't like go with it, but it goes with it. The like shake what your mama gave you. It's Absolutely. like, you know, like, I mean, if you got a first class ticket, you might as well use it. If you got it, flaunt it. Right. If you got it, flaunt it. Um, this is actually something that, um, I get kind of interested in it. Now, I hadn't thought about this with the community, so I'm curious about that too. And I have two thoughts going on in my mind at the same time. But when you're like, we have this community and stuff doesn't really tend to go out, I don't know exactly what that means because like, I found you. Well, you did find me, I guess. So I, I suppose there are leaks, you know, but <laughs> occasionally someone will have a tweet that goes completely viral, you know, like it actually really does take off. And uh, that's always, we're always just like, ah, you know, and then we'll see photos of people that we follow and talk to um, on like compilations on BuzzFeed or something. And that's like, bizarre, you know, uh, so it does happen, but more often than not, the discussion is so nuanced, it's not going to take root in, uh, you know, the fast go, 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 go thing of Twitter. So, you know, like. Occasionally, somebody will post a really interesting thread that gets some traction. Um, I've had a couple threads get some traction. I had a tweet that got like to a thousand likes or something, which is not that big. But excuse me, in the grand scheme of Twitter, but uh, that and I just said I, I, it was a forward tweet. I said men are criminally under uh, under complimented, and that one is like my most viral tweet. And it's like, is it even good? It's not even a good tweet. I'm not saying anything super interesting. And everybody was like, ah, she's a pick me girl. She's a, uh, you know, whatever. But, you know, it's like, it's almost like when things do pop out of the bubble, I'm like, like, damn, I wish it had, you know? Yeah. And that was the second thought that I was going with. Like, why does it matter to you if it pops out of the bubble? Because I'm assuming a lot of the critical comp or I shouldn't say compliments back comments are probably from people like you don't really know, right? Oh, absolutely. There are definitely yeah. Um, so that's always uh, an interesting, just like sociology dynamic to me is why do strangers words typed who will probably never interact with you? Like you're not even going to bump into them in a grocery store or a gas station. Like why, why does that affect you or 
hinder you from wanting to like be out of the bubble? Uh, I think for me, it's just that it's just like, uh, okay, let me put it this way. If my best friend called me and said what these people tweeted about, I would be like hurt and I'd be like, okay, I need to reevaluate my behavior. With strangers, it's just people are taking your point of, you know, fans context and using it probably to wave a flag that you would never want to use. That is what gets me. If people want to think I'm a pygmy girl, I mean, let them, let them get at it. You know what I mean? Hey, whatever. I don't care. But, you know, for somebody to use, a, I do think that men are criminally under compliment. I think that, I think that men would benefit a great deal from probably receiving a compliment. I mean, most guys I know can, can tell you the five compliments they've received in their entire life, who told them to them and, and like what, how they made them feel. Most men I know are that way, you know? That, I'm and trying to think, of, actually, now. Yeah, and maybe. I, on the other hand, I couldn't tell you the last five. <laughs> it's a constantly updating list, you know? So it is it is something that I was like, you know, I, I think, and I know guys who I think probably could use something like that because men don't see themselves as objects of beauty. Uh, they don't see themselves as, uh, women get to mythologize ourselves. We get to see ourselves as goddesses. We get to see ourselves as like, you know, being the this heightened sense of like who we actually are, right? You know, there's so much smoke and mirrors to play with. Men don't get that. And I think, you know, it would probably some there's some dudes out there who could benefit from that. And, you know, but people are just taking this being like, this is just how women try to get men to do X and it's like, okay, you know, I can't do anything about it. So I hate to see people take my flag, plant it somewhere I wouldn't want to plant it. But that's the only thing that I don't, you know, I don't like people doing take my words to say dumb shit. That makes sense. No, that does. I hadn't thought about that before, man. But that's um very well said. No wonder you're a writer. Um, very well <laughs> um, said. Because yeah, if if you have a point, if you have a premise, and then all of a sudden it goes somewhere where it's like off brand, right? You wouldn't yes. want to be associated with where it's at. That makes total sense. Okay. Well, it's like you know everybody always talks about like Nietzsche, uh, and nihilism. It's like, well, Nietzsche invented nihilism. No, he didn't. He named it. He gave it a name. <laughs> but so now we've got all these people who are like, oh, Nietzsche was nihilist. No, he wasn't. He was the opposite. You know, but he just named, he just stuck a, you know, a really good moniker on there. Um, and that's, uh, you know, a little, it's a little, you know, but on, on a certain level, if you try to spend all day long uh, trying to police other people's perceptions of you, will literally never get anything. Yeah, because you can't control it. You can't oh, argue yeah. it. You just let it roll. I did. And dad. <laughs> nihilism is something I actually came across. And so I turned I turned forty this summer. Thank you. I know I look congratulations. Great. Yeah. Um, but nihilism is something I hadn't come across till I was thirty eight and a half, and like it, it really <laughs> is like an amazing concept to me. And right. when you bring it up, and now I'm like, are you some super deep philosopher is this what you do all night you like read philosophy i am have been known to partake dabble in a little bit of philosophy um just because uh i when i was in college i took an intro to philosophy course and um i just like took it my back kind of thought it was interesting um and uh i actually the professor and the professor and I got along swimmingly because I, I wanted to argue all day long. And his, he was very inflammatory in the class because this was like an intro level class that a lot of like, for lack of a better word, like normies took. So he would try to get people to like bait and argue with him to like care about the subject material. Well, I've got, listen to me. 
you know, they pick your battles. I've got plenty of time. I, I want to pick all of them. You know what I mean? Like, that's yeah. me, you know, uh, when it comes to, you know, things like that. And so he and I got along really swimmingly. And then later, actually, his daughter, who was also did theater and stuff, uh, like I did, and I, and we're like twins. We're both blonde and we look very similar, uh, became really good friends. And so I became like, I got adopted into that professor's family, which was really cool. And oh, they're still, you know, very close, like family friends. Um, but uh, <clears throat> I don't know. I was interested in this idea because I, I sort of have, I'm describing on Twitter as having, it, this is the nicest thing anybody's ever said about having an unintimidated intellectualism. Oh. I said, oh, isn't that nice? That's, I'll, I'll, I'm going to write that down, put that on a wall. You know, that's good stuff. But uh, it is true. I sort of don't even know how much I don't know. And I'm not interested in finding out. I just, <laughs> I just sort of kind of say, you know, whatever I feel like is right. And I got raised by people who are very earthy, very salt of the earth type people. Uh, and they... They know how they want to live. They think they understand how the world works and they don't have any shame in uh, sort of having a folksy, like lived in experience based like philosophy. And so, you know, the idea that I'm supposed to just listen to somebody because they're important doesn't strike me as uh, true. So I have a lot to say about philosophy. What? Yeah, no, it's, I, I wonder. How often it's actually pretty surprising to me when children almost just fall in line with their upbringing. I don't know if I'm just a natural rebel. I don't know if I'm just hanging out with rebellious people, but I don't know too many people that this is our eighth generation of going to church every Sunday type oh, yeah. thing. Or, you know, ever since the 1700s, we've always believed in abortion. You know, like yeah. it just—it—it's it, like no one's ever changed throughout the lineage. I don't know if that's like an American thing. I don't know if that's an internet thing with knowledge. I don't know if that's a college thing where you go around and you get exposed to all these ideas and you're like, "Holy shit, man!" Like, like I, when I heard the word nihilist, I don't know why it stuck with me, but I'm like, "Is karma a lie? Does, does it not matter? Can I just be the biggest ass I want? And it doesn't matter. There's no consequence. And I'm like, but no man is an island and there's ripple effects. And I've seen the butterfly effect movie and something's going to happen. And right. I don't know, but like you change. So it's, I, I completely get what you're saying where I, I almost feel like people are made, or at least nowadays made to like grow up. And as they grow, they almost want to like separate and find their own identity. It's like, they don't want to be identified right. with their family for some reason. Right. I am extremely lucky in that I have a wonderful family and I was raised extremely well, which is why I'm so annoyingly well adjusted. Um, but you know, I, I have a lot of, I, I did theater in college. That's what I did. You're, you're, you're Hey, you're looking at a washed up actor. So whatever. But, um, washed you know, up. I had a lot of, I, until I got to college, I didn't realize how different my upbringing was from most people's, uh, because, like, I feel like for a lot of people, college is where you first get away from your family and you kind of start processing. You are outside of them, you know, you are, I mean, if you go to college, you don't do that. But, you know, I had friends who were, like, I think I was, like, emotionally abused my entire life. And they're, like, having this, this like, moment at, like, 19 years old, wow. you know, and I'm sitting there, like, I don't know what do you mean you don't like to talk to your mom when you're upset? You know, like, I don't get it. Like she's the first person I want to talk to, you know? And me personally, I, I think I did for a minute, like really try to rebel and I wanted to be like very different people. Like 
person for my parents and I, I was like, they don't get me, like they don't, or whatever. And it's like, I look down, like they absolutely, like I am them, you know, like <laughs> That's who, who am I kidding? You know, uh, I'm like a clone of my mother, like physically. We like, I mean, we even metabolize medication the same way. I mean, it's, it's nuts. So, Is that a real you know, thing? it's like, well, I know, like, like you we both get that uh, we, analyzed. You're like, man, Tylenol, we both break it down within 38 seconds. Well, my mom had issues with uh, progestin, um, as uh, or like like the depot shot. Um, and so I'll never get it because I like the way we both eat anesthetic. Like, when we go to the dentist, we have to be numbed up and like gets to come in way sooner than he normally would for most people because we just start eating, like, we just eat it. I don't know, it just, we just our system consumes it. So he'll be halfway through filling my tooth, and I'm like, ah, you know, something like that. Um, but you know, and we're just extremely. I think I did a lot of my rebelling as a kid and as a teen. And then by the time I got to a place where I could actually be who I wanted to be, you know, I could really reinvent myself. And I did, you know, in a lot of ways. Uh, I was like, oh, okay, I had some of this shit right in the first place. Like, what did I think I was doing? You know? Um, I think that's sort of how it went for me. Interesting. Yeah, I... I, I still I, am not... I'm not a clone of them, really. I mean, I have a lot of... Uh, different attitudes, but it, what's also interesting is, as an adult, you get to realize what your parents were like as young people. And I had no idea that my mother was like, because you know, when you're a kid, your parents are like arbiters of justice and like authority more than they are like people to you, you know. And then when you grow up and you get out of the house, it's like, oh, you know, you sort of like Young says, you sort of like uh, what's the word? You sort of uh, you realize that your dad doesn't have any better judgment than you do. Yes. He's just got more experience, right? Yeah. So once you kind of get over that hurdle of understanding, start to understand your parents more than people. And you, you know, it's like, I, I can't remember, it's like Oscar Wilde says, like, when you're young, you love your parents, uh, and then you uh, you grow up and you, like, hate them, and then in the end, like, you judge them or something like that. But eventually, you know, you will, like, pass judgment on your parents, how they lived or whatever, and, you, you know, hopefully come to the realization that they were doing the best they could with what they have and you are doing the exact same thing. It does. It does. I wonder, and is that part of like rules and theories? Is that part of what's appealing to you about philosophy? Like having these guidelines on the road of life? Yeah, I think, uh, I'm, I'm a Virgo. <laughs> so. I always get lost when people do that. Everyone's like Sagittarius bitch. And you're like, I don't know why that, <laughs> Why does that apply to this situation? <laughs> I never know. I'm a, Virgos are arbiters of order. Virgos uh, like rules. They like systems. They like groundedness. They like they're practical, pragmatic to a fault. Um, that's me. They're, I'm very that. I'm so pragmatic that I should, you know, never be allowed to hold government office. <laughs> Would that Just be kidding. a good thing? I was going to say. No, yeah, I'm, I'm totally joking. Um, I'm not that. I'm not quite that utilitarian, but. Uh, <laughs> The fucking words, dude. The 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 names and words you're dropping. I'm uh I'm I'm glad I got a couple cof cups of coffee with me. <laughs> you're so sweet. <laughs> dude, I can't believe you worked all night. I'm like, dude, you're fucking you're you're rolling. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have cut you off. No, you're okay. No, I woke up at three o'clock yesterday, uh evening, afternoon, and uh I've been up since then, but I, I'm at that like good stage right now where I'm like a little loopy, but I'm not quite tired, tired yet. Right. So this is actually the perfect time for me to come on and do a podcast metabolizing yeah. your podcast metabolism is uh mm. right there <laughs> the time is right very i'm in a flow state for podcasting 
but yeah, I, I am a little bit like of a utilitarian, like a, a pragmatist. And so I, I like this idea that, you know, I mean, obviously not every rule works for everybody, right? Like, you know, that's something that I, I've always been like a wise woman amongst my friends or whatever people come to me when they want to hear like the whole part in college. I had a female friend and Joanne was like mom and I was like the dad. Like you needed to be petted. You went to Joanne and Joanne would like take care of you. And then like when you were ready, you came to me and I would tell you how you fucked up. That was sort of like our position at the in our little theater department, but which sounds very like, you know. But honestly, that's like how it worked. And uh, you know, like you can't give everybody the same advice, you know. And that's what's super interesting to me uh, is that every like everything is so case by case. But there are like some underlying things that probably everybody should, right? Like you probably should try to like yourself. You probably should try to turn yourself into a a version of yourself that you enjoy and you know you probably should try to treat other people the way that you want to be things like that you know sort of like first principles but you know i'm not a person who normally thinks the first principles. so it's interesting that i sort of work in the negative space somebody i hear an idea and i snip out all the things that i don't like you know excuse me and then in that negative space i sort of find what i do believe does that make sense yeah, no, because I, I like thought exercises like that with how people analyze. And I guess I, I've not thought about that either. But now I want to hear someone's idea and be like, do I immediately have this? Not that you were arrogant, but I would take it as like my arrogance of their idea is wrong and something must be negative about it. Or do I focus on what I connect with and what's the positive first and then peel right. off the negative? Interesting. What's, was there some sort of, and I never got to do a philosophy class in college. I think I read half a book, almost got a tattoo, but it would have, it would have meant nothing. Um, (laughs) Was there like some sort of scenario? Like I I think of philosophy, the tree falls in the woods. If no one's there to hear it, like, did it fall kind of thing? But I got that from the Fresh Prince. Was there some sort of like (laughs) scenario or something that you, that stuck with you? That gave you some sort of realization that is a goalpost for you? So for me, uh, I I sort of, like I got this intro class, right? Well, I ended up taking Western Thought and other things down the road. But that intro class was great because we got like a really good survey of like we hit the greatest hits of philosophy for our history. And, you know, you start with like Kant and you're like, uh, I think he's wrong about everything. And it's like Kant is sort of like Freud and that all of the things that he got right, we take for granted, you know? And then, all, and then we just looked at all the stuff we got wrong, and we're like, oh, what an idiot, you know. Just, was it, is it quite fair to Kant or Freud, you know? Um, Wait, can you tell me, so, do you remember? Like, because I've never heard that guy's name before, Kant? So, Because um, I feel like Kant. I'm cursing. I feel like I'm just I'm, calling you the worst yeah. name in the world. <laughs> He's German. <laughs> um, Kant is, uh, he was like a ethics guy. <laughs> he was an ethics guy. And uh, Kant sort of, I don't, I'll be honest with you, I'm not a big scholar of him because it's just like, oh, we're 300 years or however many years past him, like, he's, you know, we've realized he's wrong about things, which is not true. He's not really wrong about things. It's just not as correct as he could be. And again, this is philosophy. Everybody's got a different opinion, you know? Yeah, um, Some people just have better, more systematized opinions. It's like basically what you connect with, right? It's like, right, it, absolutely. it's your political affiliation. Yeah. So what did well, you, I, like, not kind of agree with with him or what did you think he could have had a little better? I felt like he was, uh, it's sort of, he, he sort of reminded me of like behavioral psychology where he's assuming that everybody is exactly the same. 
which is just not true. You can't, uh, behavioral, the behavioral perspective of psychology is very much like, okay, put a person in this situation, they will respond this way. Well, it's like, obviously the evidence doesn't bear out to that. Like there, there is a lot of variance in attitudes and how people act, right? It's not, you can't Pavlov's dog everybody. You can mostly, <laughs> but not everybody, you know? So on a certain level, like, you know, that's sort of to me what like Kant was getting wrong. What, what struck me initially and was, uh, we talked for like 20 seconds about the Stoics and I was like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll buy Marcus Aurelius's meditations. It's like two bucks on it. And I read it and I was like, this is really good stuff. And then I read that Nietzsche said it was slavery of the soul. And I was like, well, fuck kind of is, isn't it? So, is it? Well, you know, that I, so, and you, I don't know what, what makes a stoic a stoic. Mm. I actually had an MMA fighter, Evan came on and um, he was, I, it's too late for me to remember, but he was like trying to explain the stoicism to me. And I, I, from what I think I remember, it's like the work ethic. No. So stoicism is sort of mastery of the self, right? It's, it's very internal. It's like, okay, you have to look at other people. And when they do bad things to you, you have to think very, it's very, uh, forgive them Lord. They know not what they do. You, you create such complete control over yourself that you are not worried by the world around you that you become, stoic unflappable uh some people would argue that it kind of is in an attempt to make it completely unemotional hmm. um i would disagree with that i think it i don't think that there's any hard and fast rule in stoicism that says don't feel i think it more so says feel very quietly to yourself don't get yourself into any kind of issues well <laughs> uh, because like the marcus aurelius was uh it's mostly Marcus Aurelius, Seneca, and there's one other big guy whose name totally escaped me right now that I actually have a friend. Um, but the idea being that you can control the world around you by controlling yourself first. Um, and you can make yourself a better agent in the world. Yeah, Does that make sense? That's sort of stoic. It does. It reminds me of like what I would want um, army special forces person to believe Absolutely. in. Absolutely. Like control your heartbeat, whatever's going on around you, you can control yourself. And it seems right. like it would really help like people overwhelmed and like panic attacks kind of yes, thing. Absolutely. And I was like, focus on your breathing. Okay. Right. And then, so now you I, get to Nietzsche. Stoicism sort of right now is in this really weird place where most of the guys on the internet that call themselves Stoics are really like either like red pillars, or, like maybe fascist adjacent sometimes. Um, red pillars not matrix always. reference. Yeah. the okay. Well, like the guys who believe in, um, it's sort of like a culture where like a sex war thing that they're like feminism is ruined women and you have to be this type of person. And, and, and it's sort of like they create this like predetermined um, or predestination sort of like way of viewing the world. That's really odd. Um, and not definitely not healthy or good for anybody. Um, uh, this is, this is by the way, an open invitation. If you're a red pillar, and you would like to talk about this. You can't come in my DMs. I would be very nice to you. And tell you later. Um, <laughs> But there is, you know, they they get at some, uh, they use EvoPsych a lot of times to justify things that uh, EvoPsych doesn't really, like, quite justify. Um, Evo? Like, EvoPsych, yeah, evolutionary the, psychology. Okay, I was going to say, you had to know that I was going to be like, EvoPsych? Yeah, 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 you're good. <laughs> EvoPsych is like, uh, it, Ken put it, my best, my best friend Ken put EvoPsych really, really well one time. He said, uh, 
EvoPsych is sort of like, um, it holds 1% stock at every company on earth, but it doesn't hold, it's not a majority shareholder anywhere. So it's like, yeah, you could say that women prefer men that are taller than them, right? Yeah. Well, it's like, okay, well, you know, I know plenty of couples that are like the exact same height, or maybe he's even a little bit shorter or like whatever. It's clearly not as big of a deal as like people would tell you, like if you're five, four, just kill yourself. because no woman's ever going to love you. It's like, it's not, it ain't that serious. Yeah. You know but I mean? the shorter dudes are in misery all the time. Yeah. Like that's that. what they're, they're, they're going to try to tell you that it's, it's not worth it. It's all over. Yeah. Okay. And that's like, that ain't it, sis, you know, one of my most favorite bows, where I put it, was exactly my height. And I'm five seven. I'm pretty tall for a lady. He might have even been shorter than me. It didn't bother me none. I liked him. But was he happy with himself being around you? Oh yeah. Maybe he was miserable. Oh the no. Entire no, uh-uh. No chance. <laughs> Just smile on your uh-uh. face. But yeah. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So, and wait, the red pillars are people who kind of just go with these evolutionary norms of like, dudes are going to be attracted to thicker or well-rounded women for like birthing hip type things. Yeah. They're going to try to, what they do is they sort of use Evo Psych to justify misogyny. Uh, um, so now, I should be I the provider. Men are, men I, are stronger. I should be the provider. It's just how the world is. Like, that's the it's type more, of shit? It's much more, yeah, it's much more, like, resentment fuel. It's, like, women are gonna, you know, like, feminism has empowered women to, um, for lack of a better word, this is their term. I'm, I'm not uh, endorsing use of this term. They, like, use the term cock carousel. Uh, women are gonna ride the cock carousel when they're young and beautiful, and then they'll be used to be useless, and, then, you know, and then what they're gonna do is they're gonna date um, super hot dudes, and uh, on the side, they're going to marry, like, a little beta guy who, you know, just provides, but really she's cheating the whole time with, like, this hot guy. And it's, like, these are, like, I'm sure if you were to actually be in a situation, that would be very horribly sad. But it's, like, that's just not how things work the majority of the time, you know. And uh, it's it's just, it's, it makes me very sad. I want, I think there is a crisis of masculinity right now that's very real. and. Uh, I would like for that to not be okay. I love that. I love that. Crisis of masculinity where dudes just can't be a dude? I think that, well, I think that, you know, the sort of old model of, like, provider, you know, whatever. You see guys really lean into this and they call themselves, like, trads. You know, they're like, well, I want a trad, like, traditional. Like, I want, you know, <clears throat> I want, like, to have a wife. and like, I want her to stay at home and I want her to be, like, somewhat subservient. And I want her to raise our kids and I want to work, you know, yada, 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 yada. And it's like most of the guys who say they want this, though, are not alpha provider types. They're dudes who are scared of women. Hmm. So they want like a subservient woman because she's not threatened, right? Well, also, you can't return to the 50s. Like, it, we're not there anymore. We, we're not in an economic system where beyond a certain tax bracket, you know, it's an, it's an unviable thing to have one provider, you know, to have one income. Um, you know, and when women are in the workforce, they're probably going to be a little bit more, you know, women have always ruled the home, but now they're also probably, you know, a little more in finance, like that, you know, but things have changed. Uh, we can't return to the world of these advertisements because it didn't exist then either. Really, they were advertisements, not reality, you know. So. That's what Mad Men taught us. Thank you. <laughs> Mad Thank <Man>. you. <laughs> Mad Men really fucked my mind up, man. 
that was like when I was the awakening of like, holy shit, I've been manipulated by by advertising my whole life to think oh, yeah. blank is awesome, blank <clears throat> is cool. It's um, I need blank. Blank is the standard of success. You're like a right. motherfucker's plot. And then they those people had kids and they developed algorithms for social media and became influencers. Yep. <laughs> like, it's nuts. Um, all right. So and I, I don't know if we'll ever get back or actually have one solid topic or point. But I wanted to going from Stoics to did you say Nietzsche? I think you've said Nietzsche twice now. Nietzsche. Yeah. Nietzsche. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I, I don't get why Nietzsche says something and you're like, fuck, Stoicism is like being trapped in a soul. Well, like, it's why, a very does... real critique that uh, if you look at Nietzsche's philosophy of like trying to be the Ubermensch, trying to be uh, like what is like what is the ideal way uh, to live, uh, you know, in a very semi-religious sort of like, most just way to be, you know? Um, Stoicism would tell you <clears throat> your passions are something to be controlled, that they're like a weakness to feel very strongly about things. And Nietzsche would say that's like slavery of the soul. You should be exactly as expressive as you want to be. The Ubermensch would never say, oh, it's beneath me to feel this. The Ubermensch would, would, if he was angry, would break something. You know, like if the Ubermensch would do what he wants to do at the end, like period of the story. No justification for God or anything to do whatever he wants, right? Hmm. So, on a certain level, you know, like I, I feel okay. For instance, I'm a very pretty woman, <laughs> um, and I like, uh, you know, I like being a pretty woman. And, us, you know, Nietzsche would would say that me putting on makeup and looking nice and going out and you know being flirted with and being a social butterfly and everything is just me. In inhabiting the gifts that I was given because it would be, don't you think it would be wrong for me to reject what I've been given? Would it be, would it be better for me to destroy myself so that I don't make other people feel good and like certain or feel bad and like sort of Paris and Bertrand situation? Well, of course not. Right? Yeah. Right. Orwell Nietzsche taught would, us that. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's like, it would feel, it would feel more disrespectful to try to walk meekly through the world and be like, Oh, I'm not, I'm not really, I'm not really this person, you know, than it would be to, you know, to be like, okay, this is who I am. This is what I want. I'm gonna use all the gifts I've got to get it. Yeah. So that, and I, I'm, I'm a teacher, and I'm around middle school kids very often, 11 yeah. years old to 14 years old. You see this weird range, pre-puberty, kind of during puberty, and I don't know. Some of them are post-pubescent um, <laughs> by the time they leave. But you get to basically in my position, you I've see kids developed over three years, and I really do wonder because you tell like a toddler stop with your tantrums you're constantly trying to get kids to control their emotions and almost right. hone them the right way but the older i get the more i think like we well, have these emotions for a reason shouldn't you embrace these emotions like and i the reason i think of teaching is like some kids feel all this pressure they just hate reading and it's like no you have to read your identity you are good if you are good at reading and it's like no nah, man maybe reading's just not for you because Right. It's not a part of you. And that doesn't need to, there's nothing wrong with that. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I think of most religions as like, they tend to try to stifle your original emotions, things that are within you to control right. them. Almost like making you feel bad for feeling you. Yeah, absolutely. So I didn't know that there was the opposite of that though. 
I guess that's yeah, why I'm should, like flabbergasted. I'm like, what? That you is- should probably read Thus Spoke Zarathustra and then probably go ahead and just move on to Beyond Good and Evil. Uh, and that would give you a pretty good idea of what Nietzsche believes. Um, uh, he would, he, he sort of like semi endorses the idea of the Ubermensch. He's like, the true, the true great men of our society, <clears throat> the men who would be conquerors and kings, are all in prison. <clears throat> are in prison? Yeah. Because. Because they're they're so you have to have a certain like I don't know maybe like whatever like chutzpah or arrogance to like reach in and grab what you want like and like you know fuck all to what like could happen to you consequences or what it may hurt other people or whatever that like you have to be a little bit brutal to be great right well Nietzsche would probably tell you that that's why all the great men are in prison because they've decided, they 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 fully embodied themselves and what they want but they don't even care about society right. So that's exactly what I started thinking. Cause then I'm like, well, you almost have to cap it. Cause you piss me off. Do we have a society where I punch you or because I have a concealed carry permit, I just get to shoot you. Right. right. Like, like that, that's probably not the best society. Cause then maybe a lot of people are growing up fearful and then people maybe don't want to express their thoughts because they're afraid of just openly being shot. Right. For sure. Does he put like does and I still can't say the fucking Nietzsche. Nietzsche, okay. you got it. Maybe uh, thirty-seven minutes in, I'll finally respect this <laughs> great philosopher, Nietzsche. Um, does Nietzsche try to put a cap? Did you read anything about him where like he put a limit I, on? I will be honest. I'm not a Nietzschean scholar. I am a hobbyist, <laughs> um, and I really I don't even think I've made it all the way through Beyond Good and Evil quite yet. I don't remember. <laughs> I stopped reading it because I'm moving. Um, don't tell my Twitter followers. <laughs> But, uh, you know, uh, I don't know. Uh, there is sort of like, I think personally, you should never take any philosophy like full cloth. I think you should always think to yourself like, okay, I mean, you should always evaluate. Is there something about this that bothers me with like a deficiency in myself? Like the idea of being ubermensch scare me because I don't. I don't like to trust my own power and I don't like the idea that I could ever hurt anybody. Well, it's like, yeah, you got to deal with that. That's, that's, that's not good. You don't want to be that person. Right. But I think you should always remember your critiques, like things that don't stick uh, for you as far as uh, like philosophy, like for me, Stoics, I was like, I'm not going to ever be able to not feel. I have a Pisces mood. I'm, I'm all feeling, you know, deep down it's tight. <laughs> so and I'm an actor, and being an actor, you have to, one of the given conditions to be an actor is you have to think of emotions as valid. Your emotions, your own emotions as valid, so that you can understand them, you can sort of be objective about them. And, because if you spend all this time going, well, I'm not allowed to feel this way. Well, I'm not allowed to feel this way. Well, bitch, you're not going to be a very good actor. Because <laughs> people don't, people don't justify their feelings. Right? You should just feel, they come from that black place at the very back of your head. They come forward and they demand your attention. They demand your work. You know, you do have to do something about them, whether that's express them or control them. You know, or control the way you express them. And uh, you know, so like stoicism on a certain level was never going to really work. I was never going to be able to completely control them. <laughs> that, and I don't really want to. So you know, whatever. Yeah. So I, you know, <laughs> I do. I do like that. I. Yeah, I don't know. There's something about like it's funny because you have a saying like trust your gut, right? Your right. conscience will guide you, kind of a thing. And you probably have, but is that evolutionist of me to be like attraction? No. I'm attracted to somebody 
because I want to mate or because there's just something inside of me and I should follow that attraction, right? Or I have this emotion of, I want to live in a certain place. Is that a biological ancestry thing? Like I have to be by water or is it just like <laughs> this weird world calling me the, the universe or is it because I'm a cancer or is it because <laughs> I just like water and I should embrace that? Or it's like, no, I must go to the, I must go to Kansas and suffer. I think that's a really interesting question. Uh, I don't know. I personally, I feel pulls. I, I wrote a long Twitter thread. Did you see that thread about like feeling the pull? Don't remember. So let me wax a little bit poetic here and let me t tell a long story. Okay. Please. So I, my grandfather and I were extraordinarily close. I was the first girl in two generations on that side of the family. This is a, this is a family with a very strong storied military tradition. My grandfather was a Sergeant major in Vietnam. Uh, and he turned down a lot of promotions to go any higher because he didn't want to leave enlisted. He didn't want to leave his men. He got the bronze star, he got purple heart, and then rejected that purple heart because he didn't feel like he got hit with shrapnel from Warner and didn't feel like that was, uh, he, he felt like that wasn't good enough reason to get a purple heart because he wasn't shot by live fire, <laughs> which is, uh, you know, grandpa was a fascinating person. Papa was great. It's a standard. Um, yeah, so I, uh, he died when I was in the sixth grade. And that was very, very hard for me. Um, I'm actually at his house right now setting up his porch. Oh. Um, yeah, this was his, this was his house. Um, once upon a time. And uh, we were extraordinarily close. Like I said, I was the first girl generation. So I got whatever I wanted out of it. I mean, really. <laughs> wrapped around my finger, you know. Uh, but we were very close. And I think I'm a lot like him in this position, which is hard to notice because I'm a 24-year-old blonde girl and not military, you know. But we are a, a lot alike in, the, in certain, you know. I see myself in certain, like, pinches, and I, I react ways that I think Pop would have reacted. But uh, several years ago, I moved um, to Oklahoma. I lived in Oklahoma for several years. So not going to do that again. <laughs> not a fan. But uh, Pop was buried in uh, a cemetery out there, about equidistant from, like, my, where my parents were at and where I was at. But it was kind of a long drive either way. And also, I didn't really have a lot of... I hadn't visited, I hadn't visited his grave since I was like 13, 14. Um, and I had this... I was living in, in Oklahoma, and I was like, I think I need to go visit Papa. I don't know why I feel like I need to visit Papa, but I feel like I do. And uh, so I packed up my shit one day, and I went. And I had to... And I didn't tell my family I was going, but I didn't want it to turn into a whole thing. And... I went and I sat in front of his gravestone and I just cried and talked to him for like two and a half hours. And uh, I didn't realize how badly I needed to do that. But I'm so glad that I, I I felt that feeling and I was like, oh, I gotta follow that. It doesn't hurt me not to follow it. You know, I mean, it doesn't hurt me to follow it. I need to go through it. Can and I then, pause you in, in a very sure. emotional story just for a moment? Because I'm interested. Sure. I, I've not had a chance to ask somebody this question before. When you're speaking to him, are you, is it more a monologue or is it a dialogue where you're actually like reflecting back, hearing his voice from like your experiences with him through your sixth grade? Or did you take it as like that next level spiritual where he's actually speaking back to you? Like you're connecting to his spirit. I felt very much that he was there. If that makes any sense. But I, I didn't, I don't think I heard anything that I think sometimes you, you know, you sort of hear, 
like if you imagine talking to your, you know, somebody you just know really well, kind of imagine what they would say back to you, you know, right. what would so-and-so say, what would so-and-so do here, you know, but I did, I, hold on, I, I, I feel I could better elaborate the answer by telling you. Okay. So I, and I went, and I, you know, it felt very cleansing, it felt very good. I gave them an update. I told them about every, all, all these things that happened, and, uh, you know, in my life and <clears throat> things I'd overcome and yada, 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 that I hope proud of me or whatever. And then I just felt good and I left. And then a year later, I got the same pull. I was like, I got to go back. And I was like, I don't, I just went. Like, I, you know, last time I went, it was like a 10 year gap. Like, why do I feel like I need to go back again? And so I went on a date. It was freezing fucking cold. And he's buried on a hill. And it's a beautiful, beautiful place to be buried. It overlooks all these rolling fields, and, you know, yada, yada. And I went, and it was so cold, and the wind was just frigid. And the first time, I felt like I had a lot to say. And this time, I didn't really have much more to say, and I didn't know why I was going. I didn't I didn't get it. I was like, I, I got to go. You know what I mean? I, I got to go, but I don't know what I'm going to do with it. And I got there, and I talked a little bit more, and I, I repeated a lot of things I said the first time. And I was like, well, what am I wasting my time here? I don't know, I don't know why I'm supposed to do and uh, I sang, I was in private voice lessons for like 10 plus years. Um, as I said, you're smoking a cigarette. Um, but uh, Papa paid for me to take voice lessons, <clears throat> which is something I would not have had the opportunity to do otherwise. And so I thought, okay, well, I'll sing him. Well, I sang him this one song and I couldn't make it through it. And I just, I just don't, it, everything felt bad. And I was freezing up here on the hill. And I was like, I just want to go home, but I feel like I can't go home. And so I sang Danny Boy, a song that I didn't know until like a couple years ago and I've never sang around Papa or anything so that was strange and you know it's a funeral song so it felt kind of all right you know but I sang it and then I got done with it I cried a little bit and I'm sitting here on this hill freezing my ass off wondering what the fuck I can't leave I feel like I can't leave I can't go get in my warm car and leave and finally I finished Danny Boy I said a couple more things and I was like okay I actually kind of I, I can start to feel it like glinting maybe I can maybe I am I got up and I got in my car. And uh, this this is a tiny little cemetery in the middle of fucking uh, it's like where he grew up. And so <clears throat> as I was leaving, I see it like a truck pull in the cemetery. And that's like bizarre. All the times I've ever been up there, we've never seen another person. Most of the graves are extremely old, they're not physically So I saw this truck and I thought, okay, well I had all this extra coral stuff left over, you know, putting stuff on the grave, and I thought, okay, well. We just go see a game before. The shit's expensive, okay? You know, I'm just trying to, I'm, just, I'm not going to use it, you know? So I pulled up to this truck, and uh, this man got out. Very small, you know, short little man. Uh, gray hair, older. Uh, and I said, hey, do you, are you decorating the grave? Do you need a floral plum? You know, and he said, uh, no, but who are you here for? And I said, uh, I said, so-and-so Taylor, you know, yada, yada. And he said, uh, Really? What's your name? I told him my name. And mind you, this whole time I've got my foot on the gas. I already tear out of here if I need to, you know, just in case this guy's a serial killer or something. And he's like, he's like, well, you know, we're kin. And I was like, what? And he's like, no, I'm so-and-so. This is my late name or whatever. And I was like, you're joking. And he was like, no, no, no. I'm, I'm very serious. He's like, come on, I'll show you the family. So he walked me around all the graves and was like, this is so-and-so, this is so-and-so, these two met here, yada, yada, yada. It's probably like my whole family history on my grandpa's side. And that, their, their side of the family's always been like a mystery. You know, like they've, they've, there was never a whole lot of contact with them. And so 
we get done it. And I'm like, thank you so much. Like, I can't even tell you how much I appreciate this. We'll come to find out. It's like my dad's cousin or something. I had no idea. And I was just like completely flabbergasted. He said, well, do you want to come home and meet my mother? And I said, uh, I guess. And I got in the car and I called my dad. I'm like, Hey, is this like a real family member? Like, do we know this guy? Like, is this like, you know, uh, like, am I walking into like, you know, a serial killer's den or whatever? And I, I'm carrying a gun this whole time. I'm like, I'm not super worried about it going like that bad, but you know, and, uh, my dad's like, no, 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 he's a real, he's a real person. You know, he's going to take people to see this person. That's his mother. And I go down there and I meet, she was married to my grandpa's oldest brother. So she's like, not really by blood, really, but, uh, she's been in the family a hundred years. She's like 92 years old, sharp as a hat. And I sat there in her living room and she told me how my grandparents met. She told me what my grandpa was like when he was young. She told me, you know, interactions she had with him over the years and, and all these things. And I just sat in her living room and, you know, it was very teary. And, uh, she gave me her phone number and her address. We could stay in contact. And it's so funny, you know, she's 92 years old. And I said something about the time that I was living with my boyfriend. And, I, I, like, as soon as I said it, I realized, like, oh, God, no, like, living out of wedlock, 92-year-old woman's going to, like, jump my ass. And she, and I said it, and I think I made a face. And she said, oh, don't worry about it. I don't care as long as he treats you good. That shit's from the old days. <laughs> you know, like, this is a 92-year-old woman. You know what I mean? This is so funny. Um, but it was, it was such a gift. And, uh, you know, to get to meet her and talk to her. And, I mean, I, I didn't even know she existed. I mean, like, on a very real level, I didn't know she was still around. There were any siblings really still around. Right. Uh, or, their, or their wives or whatever. And I, I got in the car, and I just got this overwhelming feeling that, like, Papa was, like, laughing. Like, that he thought this was so funny, you know? And uh, I'm so glad, because I think, you know, what, like, I could, what if what if I'd left that graveyard for those people? You know what I mean? <clears throat> what if I had felt that need to stay and I had gone? Like, I would have missed out on all of that, you know? And what a huge gift. You know, and that makes no, yeah, dude, I, I love it. And I always wonder the whole, it, it's a great example of trust your gut. Like if you feel something stay, cause you have it for this, you're there for a reason. You have a feeling for right. a reason. The feelings emanate from somewhere for some sort of purpose you would think. Right. And not to belittle the story, but I guess maybe because we were talking philosophy, I'm so curious why... Like, why that matters so much to you, knowing the family history? Well, for me, my grandpa was such a rat. He's such just a bad motherfucker, you know? And Sounds like it. For lack of a better term. Yeah, I mean, he was just he was a super cool guy. And I didn't know, I because he died when I was so young, I never really got to know him as a person. To me, he was like a benevolent, he was like a grandfather, you know, who like doted on me and, and you know, but, so then I got older and I'm hearing like, like, I knew Papa was in the military, and I knew he was a sergeant major, and, like, I didn't think like that, but I didn't, like, I didn't know what he was like, you know what I mean? You know, I didn't know that he drank for his life and, like, was still going on runs at 45 years old, you know what I mean? Like, in an era where most men washed out of the military at 45 are, like, you know, fucking over it, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I didn't know that he, uh, that he shot trap for fun. I didn't know that he, you know, like, so many things about it that just, you know, I didn't know, like, that he really liked Twin Peaks, like, you know, when that came on TV, you know what I mean? Like, I never got a sense of him as a person, and, uh, because he was just, like, a benevolent, you know, like, father, and, uh, so to get to hear, you know, that, like, he, like, for a long time, he was a drinker, he was a little bit of a drinker when he was young, a little bit of a wild thing, you know, 
and he called my grandma when they were kind of just seeing each other. He would go off and do like a like he'd be stationed somewhere, and then he'd come back and they'd date a little bit, and they'd just go back and forth or whatever until he finally asked her to marry him. But you know, Mimi told me this story, and uh, he was out of the bar and he was drunk, and he called her, which I don't understand how that works at phones where they were at. But she went and picked him up in a car, and uh, you know, uh, she was driving him through town, taking him home, and he was like you know, probably visibly drunk, I'm guessing, in the park. Well, her dad saw her driving him home drunk. And this is, you know, oh, no, no. Good girls don't do this, you know. <laughs> and uh, my great-grandfather told my grandma, like, you're never going to see him again. Like, you are not going to do something like this. Like, absolutely not. And I said, well, Mimi, what did you do? And she said, I stopped driving the main thoroughfare when I picked him up. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like, you know, I love the idea that um, so much of us is, so we are, Cormac McCarthy, very famous, who said, books are made of books. Meaning that, you know, there is no book written that is not made of some other book. You know, all books eat each other, you know, yeah. in the end. It's an endless cycle, right? Well, people are the same way, right? All people are made of people that have touched you, raised you, or, you know, hurt you. Even. And so, you know, it's nice to sort of bring down the, the God figure of, like, families like this. And then let them be little people like Interesting. I like how you said that. Bring down the god people. Yeah. Because, you know, like, like, <clears throat> hold on one second. Let me adjust the cat. Yeah, freaking frack over here. <laughs> you know. Are there their, uh, is that their actual names? Freaking frack? No. I was like, that, <laughs> no, they, it's a dog cat <laughs> combo. I was like, that actually is kind of a cool name for a dog cat combo <laughs> to be freaking frack. Yeah. Um, I might go to a shelter and adopt two today just to, just yeah. to have that around me. <laughs> Frickin' frack. I love it. Frickin' frack. Oh, how did that – originally you said it was a Twitter thread. So the Twitter thread for that is just you explaining or like tweeting out there, hey, people, trust well, your emotions because this happened to me? Basically, yeah, because I think, I think we're so – we live in the age of reason. I mean we're heading into the age of aesthetics, but that's its own. But, you know, um, we, we try to rationalize things so much. And, and that's, that's everybody. That's to the, the dumbest person you've ever met to the smartest person you've ever met. Everybody's always trying to rationalize what they feel. All the time. And it's, this is an attempt to control emotions that can be dangerous if they're not controlled, right? This, isn't, this comes from a good place. Uh, all right. I will. I love you. Lock it over. Um, you know, but, uh, uh, yeah, we were, so we rationalize things so much, which is, you know, of course we do. Why would we rationalize everything? So, you know, you think about something like this, where it's just like the only thing telling me to stay there and literally freeze my fucking ass off, like was just a feeling and it's not rational. Yeah, that makes and sense. It's like the farthest thing from rational, you know. So it's like, but but look what I gained from just trusting something that trusting this thing that some part of me, if you want to say it was God, if you want to say it was fate, if you want to say it was I don't know some kind of like brainstem, like hippocampus, uh, no, not hippocampus, not important, some fucking vestigial part of my brain, you know, that like yeah. knew I needed to be there for some reason. It doesn't matter. Thank God I stayed, you know. Right. And I think that we, we get so caught up in trying to be, you know, optimal and trying to be rational that we lose. 
sometimes very important pieces of ourselves in an attempt to serve an identity that we build for ourselves about who we are. That makes sense. Build an identity of who we are. So because you're a top one percenter looks, singing, acting, you shouldn't be out in the middle of a field freezing your ass off. Right. And it's so easy for me to say, well, I'm an intelligent person. I don't believe in like EBGB bullshit. You know what I mean? And it's like, okay, well, the woo-woo shit believes in me. So, the you, know, who am I, you know, who am I to disrespect that? You know yeah, what I mean? That's actually, that's it. Cause you see that with kids as well, where like a real simple thing would be like a basket, a kid who plays basketball would be like, dude, I don't do wrestling. I do basketball. And it's right. like, well, dude, it, you're always fucking grabbing and grappling people. Maybe you'd actually enjoy wrestling. Go fucking wrestle. Just because you've done basketball doesn't mean you have to do or are basketball. Go fucking right. do and something it's, else. It's so easy to get set in, like, having to believe things because there's a reason behind them. And it's like, you know, on a certain level, like, it is a good, good idea to base your beliefs in something, right? You know, but it's <laughs> like, if, if something is bubbling up within you and you feel it and it, and it, it, it has this sort of, like, grip on you, it's probably there for a reason because, you know, and your day to day, you don't feel that grip when it's like, well, do I want to get coffee or not? You know what I mean? You feel like grip about things that are important, you know? And I think <laughs> I this is one of those things that I think women sort of have a little bit of an advantage in over men because women are very much taught to have like a creep dar, you know? Wait, I'm sorry. I just have to fact check you. I Googled and the internet says women have zero advantages over men. So I'm confused <laughs> where you got that from. Shit. Just, just Shit. to be, just think about complete it. factual honesty. Oh, no, but wait, you know, I mistyped. Like, it said every, not zero. It said infinite <laughs> advantages. My fault. Oops. Sorry. Independent fact checkers don't bear this out. <laughs> it's like, I just, sometimes I picture in these conversations, because uh, I listen to Joe Rogan like most middle class, or middle age, middle class white males do. And uh-huh. like, it's, it's so fucking awesome that this dude just gets to talk and then there's this third person that fact checks and oh, just fill, the yeah. fills in Pull all up, those Jamie. gaps. Yeah, right. So like you can just kind of keep talking and you throw it out to somebody because it's such a pain in the ass to like stay in a conversation and yeah. do that because you, you lose. You lose the conversation. Your mind goes somewhere else. But I would love like some just stupid – like if I could hire someone for like $3 an hour and they're on the Zoom screen <laughs> and they're like the <laughs> worst – and they're the worst Google checker ever, and they just bring up the worst fucking, and it's always wrong. But then we act yeah. like it's completely right. But like, oh yeah, yeah I'm sorry. Actually, women have zero advantage. I'm sorry. But guy, what's the no. um, one of the only single advantage women had over men is what? Some of them are. I think that we do sort of allow women to have, like culturally, we have a term for like mother's intuition or like women's intuition uh, that there just is no like parallel. Right. So Don't you think like fight is, or flight for guys, like the aggression? I, I think that that's very real. But I guess that's I don't women think the internet too, would agree with you. Well, I think like women would actually get to claim that as well because like yeah. they get uncomfortable in a certain situation and they're like, fuck me, I got to get out of here or let me put my right. keys in my hand and let me get ready to punch this dude in the eye. Um, yeah, actually that's – yeah, right? What would the dudes – intuition because women are that natural like healer mother nurturer and they do get to like kind of take credit for that and there's a feeling that goes with it builder and the and the feminine is like chaos so it's like Hmm. you believe that women can operate 
in abstract concepts and feelings and depths that men don't have, right? That that's like sort of a thing that archetypally people would believe, right? So we sort of do allow women to have a little bit more of this, like, I just got a bad feeling, you know, thing in a way that we kind of don't allow guys to do. So on a certain level, I think women, women have a little bit more of like a leg to stand on. When it comes to like intuition, things like that. I wonder, because uh, you've just spoken about like men be, well, we are not just spoken about, but something we got into a little is like masculine men or men being men. And I wonder if guys have that feeling, but it's almost like a sign of weakness. I, and I then think it's so. like taken out of you of like push past it, go through right. it, you know, and that's like the alpha or the conqueror, the whatever Evo red pillars. That would if, be yeah. like. <laughs> You know, get that out of you. This way you can go take that hill kind of a thing. Right. Well, you know, they tell men, like, your emotions are very dangerous because you are dangerous. Like, a man that is emotional has potential to do great harm, right, physically. Mm -hmm. So it's like they tell you, like, just don't, just don't feel. Don't feel. Don't be, don't be trusting no internal, you know, locus of uh, anything going on. Just, you know. And women are allowed to be, women get as emotional as we want. I mean, we lose our minds, you know. And it's fine. So Especially it's like, once a month. Hey. Like it, but no, like that's a societal thing where like, how common right. is it? Like, oh, are you on your period? That's why you're acting right. crazy kind of a thing. And it's like, right. wait, we've just built in, not that you have to like act crazy to be on your, while you're menstruating, but like it's, yeah, it is one of those things where society is just almost like normalized women and their emotions and allowed them to embrace, explore, expound upon and act on where right. it's in like, a way that men just boys don't cry, allowed. you know? You can't cry. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's like, and, and, and I think there's so much. Uh, interesting. Yeah. You know, like what I would prescribe for most men is like sit with your feelings for a little bit, you know, like, like, let, like, let yourself feel them, you know? And oh, then what yeah. I would prescribe for most women is uh, read Pat's principles, I guess, <laughs> you know, something like that. Uh, because I think that, you know, we, we become better versions of ourselves if we can be both feminine and masculine, right? You want to be both. Yin yang. When, yeah, yeah, you want to be both when the time calls for it. You want to be a nurturer when you need to be, and you want to be a hard ass when you have to be, you know? Like, these, you know, and the potential for both exists within all of us. You know, I, I got very lucky that I was a tomboy, which I'm sure is surprising to anybody. And, you know, but I was very uh, aggro. You know, I was very, like, and, like, an intense kid, and I wanted to, you know, like, get my hands dirty. I wanted to be in things. I, I pitched clothing that, like, was good for me to move. You know, rather than for me to be a tournament. Yeah. Uh, and so my family was very, like, encouraging. They were fine with that. Embraced like, there it. was never, like, I, I do say, like, my mother and my grandmother did their, they did their damnedest for me to a lady, and it didn't work. But, you know, they let me be who I am. You know, my grandmother is 80, she turns 85 next week, and we're exactly 60 years apart. And it's so interesting how alike we are in disposition, um, but how different we are. And, and for a long time, I really think that she struggled with, like, how I was like very forthright. I was very uh, intelligent and I, I didn't, I rejected a lot of feminine things when I was a kid. I'm just now coming back into that sort of integrating the feminine now. I kind of went and did it first, you know? Uh, I think that's the better way early on to build in that aggro. Um, Cause I, I don't know. It's, it's almost like then the beauty is more natural. Because you don't have to have it. You didn't grow up as it with your identity. And like I would imagine right. 
as you age and like a wrinkle comes up, you're probably going to deal with that wrinkle a little better than someone who was growing up as the ornament was like, no, I, 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 I can't play my, kickball yeah, that today. My identity is how I look, yeah. yeah. It, it's one I don't of the, have that problem. <laughs> it, it's something I, I really was happy with my daughter, and I don't know if I influenced it or her, her, the family or what, but like the fact that when she, I think it might have been like by second grade, she came home and was like, her mom's trying to get her to like wear a dress, to dress up. Her grandmother's always like, wear leggings and a dress. And she's like, I can't go outside and play. I can't play tag. The boys always catch me because these skirts are too tight. I just want pants. Can I please? And I was like, fuck yeah. <laughs> like it was, it's exactly what I want you to be. And I, I think she's a beautiful girl, but I think that beauty comes from this freeness and not like this right. protected image. It's okay right. for you to be vulnerable. Like, and I, I, I don't know. I, I like that sequence. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's, it's, it's like, I, I mean, thank God they were who they were, and they they, they, they treated me how they treated me, because I can't imagine how much meaner I would have turned out if I had been forced to wear a dress and I didn't want to. I mean, I mean enough as is, you know, so. <laughs> but, uh, you know, like, I was a very, very cute kid and a hideous adolescent. I mean, ugh. at the time that I was developing all my feelings about, uh, like, where I fit social hierarchies, you know, how I felt about myself, how I felt about my image, you know, things like that. Uh, I was a really ugly, like, 12 to 15 year old, you know. Ugly and, emotionally or just, like, acne? No, kissing your ass. No, I looked fucked up. I had bad haircuts. I couldn't figure out makeup. I had braces. I had acne. I was way overweight. That's another big thing. Um, I lost 60 pounds when I was in high school. Dude, that's a lot. 5'7", yeah. lose 60 pounds? That's a five, lot. 5'7", I lost 60 weight. pounds. How did you yeah. get so big? Is it just the typical Midwest diet? It's that's it, and also the recession hit my community really hard. We were we're like an industrial town, and the factory jobs all got shipped away. My parents. I remember sitting in my economics class in ninth grade, and the teacher said, "Raise your hand if you've got one parent who's unemployed." And I mean, half of us. Were, and I went to the rich school. Keep this in mind. I went to the rich junior high. Then I went to the poor high school. But I went to the rich junior high. Half of us raised our hands, and he said, "How many of you have two parents out of work?" Like four kids raised their hands. I mean, that's like how bad our community got hit by, you know. And that meant that we were eating cheaper, faster foods. You know, it, it also, I was, it sucks to be a 14 year old girl. I was eating my feelings, you know, it's rough. And then I also was poor in a rich school. That didn't happen. Um, <clears throat> and what's good about this was I built a sense of humor <laughs> about it. And, you know, I, I said, okay, well, if I can't be pretty, then at least I could be who I want. So I threw myself into the things that I like. I did theater. I kept singing. I kept doing, uh, I read all the time, you know, uh, I did have some friends, you know, but I was like, I was like a nobody, you know? And uh, I remember very famously when I was in seventh grade, somebody told a guy that I liked him, a guy that I had like a crush on. And he said, Man, that was just all that was said. Oh, it's funny. It's funny. Don't worry. I'm not fucked up about this. Well, he hit me up in like 11th grade. He was like, hey, do you want to go out sometime? And I was like, no, and now I get to tell you no. It was like, ew to you, you know. <laughs> Damn, dude. Four years later. Did, like, did you, you, was that like the original? Because I'm so curious about like the typical dude you're attracted to and did this guy fall in line and you fought that urge just to be spiteful? <laughs> no, no, no. He, by the time that, uh, you know, I a little, I, my taste in seventh, 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 seventh grade, um, but he was like a big bad. We had we would have 
time that I was like a social outcast, with, like very, and I was like captain of the quiz bowl team. Like to be fair, I didn't do myself any favors trying to be popular, you know. But uh, I did, I did things that I wanted to do, and I realized that I was like, hey, end of the day, I go to bed liking who I am. And I may not like how I look, and I may not like how people treat me in regards to that, but like I did spend that time doing something worthwhile. I was learning. I was figuring out who I was. I was, and you know, like when you're when you're in middle school, you're not completely uninhibited, like uninhibited. You can try on whoever you want to fucking be that week. You know what I mean? And I did that. Yeah. And that was, that was good. I was like, I, I want to do something. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I don't care. You know what I mean? Because I was like, I have nothing to lose. I have no status, you know? And, you know, like I had friends who were like, oh, Darvish. I was like always crazy friends. Oh, Darvish is crazy. Darvish is crazy. <laughs> or whatever. I was like, I'm really not. I'm completely, you know. It's y'all who are crazy because you're not aware yeah. of everything that's going on. Yeah, exactly. You know, and like, I didn't care if people made fun of me for being captain of the quiz team. We won state. I didn't give a shit. I, we won state. I was captain and I got all-star for the whole tournament. It's like, eat my ass. You know what I mean? Like, whatever. I was proud of that, you know? And, uh... Can you... What is quiz bowl? Is that like trivia? Like Jeopardy? Basically, yeah. It's uh, two teams of four people, um... Buzz. Uh, first round is just, like, uh, open questions, so if, like, anybody can buzz, you get one buzz per team. Uh, and then second round is, like, bonus, so you buzz once, and then you get, like, four questions that your whole team can answer, but only the captain can speak with your whole team. And then you get the lightning round, which is, you have 60 seconds to answer, like, 10 questions. Uh, captain is the only one speaking, and then the fourth round is just, like, the first round. And it can, listen to me. I have seen professional football games less intense than quiz matches I've won. You know, like, and it was like, oh, so much fun. And I loved it. And I like, I loved, I was team captain because I was pretty good at listening, I think, really more than anything. And also, I had a good sense of when to just pass the question and go to something else, you know, to tackle it and stuff like that. And are the topics just like all the typical subjects, like science, math, history, studies? literature, mythology? I mean, math, science, you name it, we covered it. Um, and it, we all pick specialties. So like I like literature, history, mythology, and uh, pop culture were like my specialties. And then like pop music specifically, like if they were asking anything like sixties and up, that's all me. And then you know, like we had, we always had like a dedicated math and science person. So I couldn't do that at all, you know. But I wanted like all star at every tournament I ever went to, and I was sort of like a little minor celebrity. So I was like, I was still an ugly adolescent or quiz bowl girl. I was extremely pretty, so. <laughs> That's not, there, there were pretty girls with like Quiz Bowl, but, you know, I was sort of, I, and I was also a big personality for, like, Quiz Bowl kid. Yeah, you know? right. <laughs> God, that's so funny about the, the beauty thing being, like, or hotness being relative to what yeah, you're around. absolutely relative, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Absolutely. Because it's like, you know, I'm not the prettiest girl at, like, an Instagram cafe in LA ever. You know what I mean? But like at a quiz bowl tournament or like a chess tournament, oh boy, you best believe in Arkansas. Queen of fucking Sheba. You know what I mean? <laughs> Getting carried in, fanned <laughs> off. <laughs> it's like, yeah. what's the fourth person's job to feed me grapes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Agriculture and a grape feeder. That's why they're here. Uh, I'm curious about the, the weight loss. Was the yeah. weight loss like health driven? Was it looks driven? Did it did it just happen like without actual purpose because life got better? Uh, part of it, I do think, would not have happened if not for life getting a little bit better. We were starting to come out of the recession a little bit. Things were my family was doing better. Um, excuse me. 
you know, my dad had found another job. My mom had found a better job. Things were starting to look up for us a little bit. And at this point, I started doing theater, and I realized that I was a really strong singer. I was a really strong actress, but I was not strong looking. <laughs> so I was like, okay. And also, I was at a point where I was like, all right, I feel that I'm in control enough that I can do something like this without, like, doing it from a place of, like, where it would have been unhealthy. Yeah, I did it. I did. My grandmother was very nice to purchase me like a little workout diet plan thing or whatever, and I did do it. I dedicated myself to it, and uh, I was very healthy about it because. But I will say, if I have any critique of myself at that time, I did burn self hatred as the fuel for this because I was like, I want to be the type of girl who can be cast in these sorts of things. I want to be the type of girl who can play lead roles, and and I I want it more than I want anything else. And I, I hate how I, I just I just want it to be done and definitely. And now I'm currently going on a little bit of like a fitness journey. Um, and what I what's hard for me now is like I don't hate myself. Like I think I'm pretty cool. And so it's really easy to be like, well, then I don't need to lose 10, 15 pounds, right? That's fine. And I look good. And clearly the boys ain't got no critiques, you know. So it's like, okay, well, this is something I want to do solely for myself. I want to do it for my health. I want to see. I want to see what Peak Darby looks like. You know, I want to. I want to look that bitch in the mirror, and I want to feel her power. You know, <laughs> so. But now I've got to burn something else, right? I, I can't burn self hatred anymore. So what I got to burn is is you know the want to do this, the want to to be healthier, to be the best that I can be, right? Which is a little bit harder to come by. Self hatred is pretty potent fuel. You know, it's cold compared to this. You know, self love shit. It's like, you know, uh, <laughs> comparatively. But yeah, I'm gonna do it just because I wanna. Gonna do like you have an ideal weight you want to go to, or like an ideal shape. Like you just want to see what six pack looks like on a full <laughs> full mirror. Uh, I don't. I don't know about all that. <laughs> um, well, I, okay. One of the things that my doctor told me when I went on this diet was the tenth grade that I was really, really grateful for. I'm so glad she did this. She was still my. I was still seeing a pediatrician. Um, she said, "Listen, here, here's the tea." Five seven, you're extremely muscular. And I always have been all the women in my family. My mom was a professional weightlifter before she got pregnant with me. I put on muscle like it's like it's nothing. Professional I on my weightlifter? Yeah, she was a professional weightlifter before she got pregnant with me. No then she quit. Shit. Yeah, get into it. She's a bad bitch. She's a fucking bad bitch. She beats on my boyfriend's arm wrestling. <laughs> yeah, I'm not kidding. And when she gets drunk, which is very, very rarely, but when she gets drunk, she arm wrestles people at the bar. She's so cool, dude. My mom is so cool. I just like <laughs> Does she still lift, or this is just like the residuals of no, this coming is up that residuals. way? No, just residuals. I mean, she's also she's a my mother's a police officer, um, and uh, she's just she she manhandles grown men like it's no fucking problem. <laughs> she's so cool, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, that's if, some... I, if I grow up to be half as fucking cool as my mom, I I will have done done it. You know what I mean? Dude, that's some strength I've never felt. I got choked out in high school. I was fucking around with like the heavyweight two-time Delaware state champ who went on to be like a lineman at Georgia Tech. And that dude oh put me in like a chokehold one time because I was just talking shit. And like the next thing I remember, I was on the floor and the dude walked away and was like, never again, bitch. And I was like, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Like I didn't realize people could be that strong. I'm always fucking around with like right. skinny little dudes. So uh -huh. when people have that kind of like natural power, it, it, it amazes me. It oh, just, it's wild. It is. It's something to behold. Yeah. 
Sorry. I don't know. I don't know why your mom made me think of me getting choked out well, in <laughs> ninth grade, but like, it's like, I could just imagine like a couple shots into a bar and like, you're not that strong. Yeah, 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 and then yeah. she just like the claw comes at you and like pinches you like Spock would. And she's got like big rings and like long acrylic fingernails. Yeah. <laughs> just digs into you. She's like, what did you say? I'm sorry. I'm not what? I'm like, she's got a, yeah. Yes, yeah. She's like, I'm sorry. Uh, how much money did you want to put down? Yeah, that's her. So that was so all that. So, so then you wanting to hit this ideal weight. What is your? Do you have a goal? The the I, so here's yeah the doctor the, story. My, that's right. I'm sorry, my, I interrupted you. No, 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 you're fine. My pediatrician told me to measure myself with a measuring tape and not to look at my scale. She was like, "Listen, five foot seven, you're built like a brick shit house." She was like, "You're gonna see maybe the ideal weight for five seven is somewhere between one forty and one sixty. She's like, "That may not be true for you." She's like, "Because if, if you even if you were just to slough all the fat off of you right now, he's like, you're still going to be heavier probably than the average woman. He's like, because you're so, you know. Dense. And I am, like, legitimately big bone. Like, I have broad shoulders. <laughs> I have, you know, I'm, I'm a heavy build for my height. So, you know, that was very, that was very good for me. She did that because I measured, when I say I lost 60 pounds, I lost, like, inches equivalent to 60 pounds. Gotcha. But I put on a lot of muscle. Was working out and I was eating really good, so I probably will do the exact same thing this time. And it's for me that number on the scale is a very, very bad, very, very bad thing for me to think about. I've heard a lot because of people it, feel trapped by that. Like you, you measure yourself yeah. in the morning, and then all of a sudden it's like, "Fuck, man, I got to skip lunch today." Right, or and it, it, it becomes it's indicative of something that's not that important because really, you don't really nobody cares about the number; they care about how you look, right? Yeah, see, like, that's a pretty good. Uh, I think that is much healthier. I've had a doctor tell me like, well, has your belt, have you had to add another notch to your belt? Have you moved your belt notch? I'm like, no. Yeah. He's like, well, then you're fine. Yeah. Like you're, you're fine. And I, I think that does make sense because it is right. really, you want to be a healthy weight from like a cardiovascular standpoint, but really why do people want the beach body is to be attractive. Right. You want to look attractive. good. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it doesn't matter if you're whatever, 160 or 168, if you're like, wow, these swim trunks or two piece, like I'm fucking crushing it. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, you know how many guys I'm like, you know, I told them I'm five foot seven, like 180 and they're like, you're not 180. I'm like, okay. I want to argue with you. You know what I mean? Like, okay. Like, I don't know. Bench me then, bitch. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so like, and it's funny. I had a a, a late customer text me one time. She was buying Spanx for the whole crew just because we were wearing like fitted dresses or whatever and i was like i'm 5'7 i'm like 180 and she was like no you're not i'm gonna get you a smaller size and i was like i really am 180 like i know i carry it really well but like it's it's cool like you're not like i'm not hurt hurt by this number it doesn't mean anything to me you know what i mean and i and you know and everybody that's another thing like we put so much pressure on ourselves not just around numbers but just in general it's like people fluctuate weight like the last two years i don't know anybody who hasn't gained and lost something yeah with everything going on it's just hard it's just fucking hard. And, like, you know, I, at the time that, like, Corona, God, I don't want to talk about Corona, but at the time that Corona hit, you know, I had been working out really well. I was, like, looking stuff, and I mean, I was, like, I was, I loved it. I was cut. I was happy about it. And then, you know, we got the call, or my work, I was out of work for half a um, And my routine went out the fucking window. Because you have nothing to anchor yourself. And, like, Jordan Pierce says, uh, you know, it is actually legitimately really hard to keep a sleep schedule when you have nothing to wake up you know and yeah. it's like that's very true it is hard your body's just like all right i'll sleep 
whatever. Go. Yeah. Um, I actually would like to pause and go to the bathroom. Absolutely. Okay, because I'm, I'm having a wonderful time. I just actually really enjoy that. <laughs> I'll be right back. Wait, you're never going to come back? No, I'm just kidding. Oh. What? I was just in my head. I played this role of like you never coming back and me being ghosted, <laughs> and now I sit on this Zoom. I'm like, it's 20 minutes later, and I'm like, maybe, maybe. Uh, oh, maybe you should come back. I'll be back in a second. I promise. Um, let's use the <clears throat> transition to get a little bit to know more about this uh, acting life yours, because I think it's, Absolutely. I think, I think it's really interesting. I wonder how many people like have that realization if you're, if you're into acting. And then almost realizing the, I've got to look a certain way to get certain roles. I wonder, like, is that kind of common for people growing up wanting to be actors? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That is uh, so common as to be banal role. Yeah. It's uh, everybody, I think, kind of goes through. Because, like, you know, some people are character actors there. And, and like, a lot of, you know, for, that's sort of the term they use for, like, not leads. Um. So people who tend to play more comedic things and stuff like that. And I can do that in my sleep. And that's what I did when I was a little chubby chubster. Um, and I like playing character roles. They're so much more fun than playing leads. Leads are boring. It's like they're all the same, really, at the end of the day. You know, character... You're just saying that because you've never no, gotten really. I have gotten leads. I did glow up eventually. But, you know, like playing villains is so much more fun than playing heroes every single time. Because you can go big trauma. Like, you know, big crazy decisions like you can do something with Ursula that's way more interesting you can do like uh than you can with like Ariel you know what I mean huh. there's just a, a lot more to play with because there's a lot of drama you know and uh so like I played a uh what's a good example I played Tracy Turnblad in Hairspray which if you're uh, it's fine she's a big girl it's very she's a lead so she's like a protagonist but like an interesting kind of protagonist Okay. Um, and I will like to point out that I'm, I'm much too small to play Tracy actually. Okay. Like if I were to be on the show, I would never audition for Tracy. But in my college, I was the best they had because she's an extremely hard focal part. So they were like, okay, we got to put, you, you got to put your best soldiers where the fighting's toughest. You know what I mean? <laughs> that kind of thing. So, and, and trust me, you best believe I saw my name on that cast list and it's like the lead. It's like, this is the culmination of my four years at the school. And my first thought was not, oh my God, I'm the lead. It was, I barged into the office and I said, is this some kind of fucking note about my weight? <laughs> Which it wasn't. They were like, no, listen, we're going to costume you very smoke and mirrors. like." And they did do an extremely good job. The student costumer who did it did do it in a way. Bat suits are like, like mm -mm, we don't do that anymore in theater. That's very like, uh-uh, not PC. Oh. So it's like, if the role is written for a heavier person, you need to give it to a heavier person. Um, Interesting. So, they were like, okay, you aren't really a heavier person. We're not going to put you in a fat suit because that looks bad. So we're just going to costume you. You know, they broke my, the way they would create silhouettes and everything was, <coughs> oh my God, sorry. <coughs> Choking on a nutty bar. Um, God. But uh, the way they put things together, like cut my body in odd places. Okay. So it did give me this illusion of like being wider and heavier than I actually was. And also because like Tracy's such a hard part singing and dancing and you're moving nonstop. You're in all but like heavy songs the whole show. Hmm. Um, and you're dancing the whole time. Uh, that I like lost 10 pounds doing that role. I mean, I found him after, but you know, I lost like 10 pounds doing that. 
And uh, what, I knew another girl who played Tracy in a different production, and she was like, yeah, I don't know how anybody could stay at this weight doing this on Broadway, because it's so, like, physically exhausting every night to dance this role. <laughs> Very yeah, real. Um, yeah. And I'm thinking back now, I thought, wasn't, I'm pretty sure Hairspray was on, like, TV, and didn't John Travolta do Play the, the mother, yes. Okay, so that, that, that I've never actually watched it. I thought maybe Zac Efron was in it, which might... Yes, uh, okay. yep, he's, uh, he's Link Larkin. Gotcha. Would might make me want to watch it. But what you're explaining to me would make perfect sense because if you're that large, you're probably not used to being that active because typically those are inverses. You don't get that large if you're singing, dancing, sweating for hours every day. Yeah, two and a half to three hours a night every night. Yeah, right? Like a fucking marathon. And God bless rehearsals. Yeah, right? Yeah, we're doing it for 10, 11 hours. So yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I wonder how then larger people would be able to keep the weight on to maintain that role. Part of it, uh, as far as I understand it, I've never, I didn't, I played her for like a three, four night stretch. So like I, you know, and I, I lost 10, 15 pounds in the prep work and then I'm fit to the performances. Um, <clears throat> but as far as I understand it, it tends to be that you just have to eat an extremely calorie rich diet okay. and you will, you will develop like cardiovascular and like, uh, you know, health to do it. Um, but you just have to eat. And, but I think it is a thing people do struggle to keep the weight on playing. Right? Carbs. Almost like an off NFL. Yeah. I hear NFL offensive linemen, they do that shit. They just fucking eat every two hours eat, or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Interesting. And was that in high school or did you go to theater mm. college? College. College. In Boston? Yeah, is that college. why you say it that way? <laughs> no. <laughs> I went to school in um, South Arkansas. Okay. Yeah. It's like interesting. Very prestigious program. Said the snarky... Dar- what, what did you I say your a, snarky name was? Darba? Darbra. Darbra. <laughs> uh, I had a, I had a, um, my theater program was going through a lot of changes the time that I was there, uh, which was not great. I had three different, like, head professors of the, of the program in my four years there. Why does that matter? Uh, because there's no stasis. There's no, like, this is how things operate. There's no like systems in place. Like everything is changing all the time. So in a certain way, it was good for me because I learned how to work under completely different uh, like styles of direction and, and styles, like philosophies of acting and things like that. Um, in other ways, it was horrible because I never got to develop any of them past a certain point. Uh, a lot of the, the acting learning and stuff that I did in college, I did on my own time. Yeah, see, that's so hard for me to understand because I'm just, I've never really been in that world. Like, I have no idea there's philosophies on acting. Oh, oh yeah. There's acting theory out the closet. There's like probably 10 to 12, like highly regarded ones. Stop, um, dude. 10 to 12 no, really. different ways to like guide yeah, your of it. acting? Oh yeah, more really. Um, uh, everybody, so like it all starts with Stanislavski. He started, uh, he was, so when you hear like the, the, a method, which is to try to do emotional recall, to try to pull from your actual life, to maybe do things that your character would do to try to understand how they feel about certain things. Like that's when you hear about like actors going like, you know, method and acting like crazy people, you know, like Heath Ledger and stuff like that. Uh, you know, like Strasberg. So Stanislavski taught a huge group of people, and a lot of those people took what Stanislavski did and created their own version of it, and and you know, emphasized certain things. Uh, I like Michael Chekhov. He's my favorite. He's the person that I use. Um, Chekhov's all about imagination. Chekhov uh, was one of Stanislavski's students, and he did a scene one. And Stanislavski would say, "Well, what are you pulling from? What are you pulling from?" And, and Chekhov would just say, "Well, I just imagine what it would be like to be there." Huh. Yeah, 
and uh, Stanislavski would get really mad at him about this. And then one time, uh, Michael Chekhov did a, <clears throat> a scene where he was crying over his like father's uh, body, like a funeral. And uh, Stanislavski was like blown away by this performance, and he was like, "What were you thinking of? What were you, what were you pulling from?" And he said, "I wasn't. I just didn't." You know, like, and and, and Stanislavski was really bit by this. He was one of the check out one of those people who left under uh, not awesome terms with Stanislavski, um, but like Uta Hagen, um, uh, Meisner, a bunch. Of, and that all pulls from the same thing, but they're just you know adjusting. And every actor works differently and works with a different sort of methodology. Meisner is the dominant one right now. Um, I'm not a big fan of him. I think he it's very easy to take Meisner uh, theories and develop bad habits. So you need to really make sure that you learn it from somebody who knows what they're doing and is going to watch you and make sure that you don't develop these bad habits. What's a Meisner, Meisner theory? So Meisner, uh, like, like here, here's what we're going to do. Okay, I'm going to say uh, blue and you're going to say red. And those are the only words we're allowed to say. But you're going to try to convince me that red is the better word, and I'm going to try to convince you that blue is the better word. So you want to... All you're going to be able to say, though, is red. Okay, that's the only word you can say. Okay, so I'm going to say blue, and we'll start this for a second, okay? All right? Blue. Red. Blue. Red. Blue. Red. Uh, blue. You just lost because you added a uh. Oh, okay. I guess I added a Winner! But... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> this but, is amazing. Know, like, so... that, that's like an acting. Like that, If you right. go to theater so... school, you do that kind of practice. But notice how every time you said it a different way. Yeah, right? You're trying to. So you're changing, you're changing the intention. Yeah, and so you know maybe what you're I... trying to. I'm sorry. Yeah, so maybe you're trying to threaten. Maybe you're trying to pander. Maybe you... So you find all these yeah. different intentions behind the way that you say things. Right. I find so, it as sorry. This is just a weird side note, but like oh, as ahead. a psych, like as almost like, I don't know if it's psychology or sociology thing, but like my inner self, I'm like I go to a very negative place of like no fucker red, versus right. like how come I didn't go more emotional and caring like red, and like right. try to convince you red is better with love. Be persuasive, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting because you could go fifteen different ways of connotations, and it's like, well, where are you pulling from? Right. Okay. I'm starting to kind yeah. of get this. Right. So, and then when you're an actor, you're trying to make decisions. So, like, you you know what your character wants, right? Or you should know what your character wants. What does your character want? How are they trying to get it? Because you have the lines, right? They're all there for you, especially in theater acting. They're all there for you. You're not writing them. You're not changing them. You're not allowed to change them. So you got to figure out a way to make all of those lines work. And your character is trying to win the scene every single time. They're trying to get what they want or closer to what they want every single scene, right? So you have to think about what they want and how they would try to get it because the way that I would try to get it is probably different and so you have to sort of look at these lines of the script and find your interpretation of what they're trying to do with circumstances people say uh, acting is uh, acting um, believe uh, acting what is it acting shit oh my god I'm so mad um Clear you never acting, made cor English. acting correctly under imaginary circumstances, acting believably or realistically under imaginary circumstances. So, like, obviously, when you're on stage, you're not actually having a fight with your husband, you're talking to your friend who's an actor, but you're doing these lines, right? But you have to believe it, you have to suspend your own disbelief that, like, you have to believe that you are uh, uh, 
the Goody Proctor yelling at John Proctor for cheating on you and needling him because he cheated on you and you know what he did and he's ugh, you can't divorce him and you're mad at him. You know, like you have to be that. You know, and so you have. Yeah. No, well, if, if the director changes or if the program leader changes at the college, you go from the belief of, hey, you need to experience what it's like to be cheated on versus imagine what it's cheated on. And you'd like do hey. these different practices or you have these different classes. That's why the philosophy that's, matters. That's a bit of an extreme example. But like, yes. In essence. So okay. uh, like my first college professor was a big Meisner guy. And um but he was a very good Meisner teacher, so I would have been fine really learning Meisner from him. But uh, he was a horrible, awful person, <laughs> and he needed to be fired, and he needed to go when he went and why he went. So we did at that. <laughs> um, but, you know, and then I went to an actor or uh, a teacher who was really into perspectives, which is a, a certain, um, I honestly don't remember who did perspectives. Bad, bad student theater here. Um, but uh, perspectives was, like, not my style. And I said, hey, listen, I don't like this. <laughs> was like, what's the uh, essence okay. even though you don't remember who did it what's the essence of perspectives just uh it's it's a lot of like exercises with the intention of being very reactive in the space um you know paying really good attention to what of like the, what we call the tennis match it's like if somebody so like even if you've rehearsed to see it a thousand times a certain way and for instance some actor your, your, your other actor comes in and maybe they normally come into the scene and, and their character is very like you know calm but for some reason tonight they're coming in really hostile, right? So for some reason they're saying all the lines and like really like that, that character's like looking for a fight, right? Well, you have to think like, okay, you can't just give them the same reaction you would give them if they were calm. Your character would react differently, right? So you have to meet them where they're at. That's something that perspective can try to teach you. I honestly was never big on the methodology, so I didn't like study out of it. Um, I pretty much told him, yes, hello. I would like I told my professor, I would like to go um, read a bunch of stuff about Chekhov and please leave me alone. He was like, okay. <laughs> and he was nice. He was nice about it. Because I was just like, this doesn't work. It doesn't help. It helps a lot of actors. And most all actors have done something from every methodology. You've done some exercises from things. And I was really lucky that my first professor did do a sort of survey of all the different um, theories so that it was easy to, uh, like, get an idea for, like, what really clicked with me. So, like, he, I, we read the stuff about Chekhov, and I was like, this is my guy. Because I'm... What I like to do is like sort of a, like everybody does character study, but I like to really get into like the minutia, like what they are, you know, like, and oh, do they remind me of somebody I know? Do they, what are things that they would do that I wouldn't do? I personally struggle a lot physicality because I have a very distinctive <laughs> way of moving in my normal life. Uh, I stand at a bevel. I walk very head forward. You know, I, I, I'm very like grounded in my body. Um, and that means that I have a tendency to make all of my characters look this way too. Well, not everybody moves like me, right? So that's a problem. And that was a big note he gave me in my advanced acting course. He said he would give all, give all of us a note what our biggest problem was, and then we were supposed to correct it in advanced acting. Just a little sociopathic, anyway. Is it? Uh, that's he, coaching. It. The way he did it was extremely weird. How? Why and was since it weird? this is a guy who we would eventually discover was holding scholarships over students' heads to sleep with them. It's hard not to find things like this inherently manipulative and weird. So, like, some of the students who was like, yeah, you really need to lose 30 pounds, or you need yeah. to be more sensual? Yeah. Oh, shit. That, that kind of shit, yeah. Like, for me, he was like, you need to work on, you need to probably lose a little weight, you need to probably, which, you know, I did, but also not really. 
I was in college. Like, everybody's going to be a little bit heavier in college than they will be in their real life, most likely. If you're in a theater program in college because you're worked to fucking death. But anyway, another tangent for another day. But, um, you know, he was like, and you, you've got this thing where you always move like Darby. I need you to move like other people. So at that same semester, I played Lula in Dutchman by Mary Baraka, or I can't remember what his name was before he had an after But um, Lula is sort of an allegory about the black experience in America. And there's a man he gets on the subway. It's like a two-man play, really. There's a couple of like little non-speaking characters in it, but maybe a couple like you know they got like two lines or something. But for the most part, it's just Lula and this guy on a train. I can't remember his name. Oops. Um, but this guy gets on a train. Black man, the '60s. He's on a subway in New York. He's well dressed. He's like a middle-class black man. This white woman gets on and she starts coming on to him, like very publicly. And uh, she's eating all these apples and she's kind of crazy, but she's like super fun and she's super pretty. And uh, she had these, like, weird moments where she almost seems to, like, flick out of reality, and she's, like, talking to somebody who's not there. And, and you start to realize that what this Lula really represents is, like, white America, right? Hmm. Well, I was really afraid walking into the, uh, like, production that I was going to have to play, like, an idea rather than a person. And I was like, I don't think I can do that. Like, I, I, I feel like I have to feel her, like, personally on some level. Well, she murders him at the end of the play. By the way, got a lot of fun to try to... You know, I went to a black high school, and then I, like, my first big show in college, I'm, like, a racist murderer, right? <laughs> so it was, like, ah, you know, felt extremely fraught. Um, but my director was very good about, like, helping me find her as a person rather than an idea. And uh, a lot of working as Lula was unlearning a lot of my own physicality because she moved very slowly. She moved very, like, essentially she always had this sort of rocking feeling back and forth, you know, because she was, like, like you couldn't quite get a hold of her. You couldn't quite grasp her as a person. She was she was she was trying to make sure you could not truly know her. You know, mm. at the same time, she's like showing and hiding back back and forth. That I, I picked that up mentality. And uh, there is a moment where she has like a screaming fit. I like in this like the coach was going subway, and she has a screaming fit, and she's yelling all this awful racist stuff at, at Clay. This poor poor character that she's like trying to seduce and is scaring the shit out of and she's eating apples like Eve you know and she's like and I had to that's another thing I had to core like five apples in the course of a show so everybody would be like do you want to go eat dinner after I'm like fuck no like I couldn't eat anything right now um, so full of fiber yeah it was just ugh. and so like you know and you'd like core an apple and like throw it and like it was just completely batshit stuff and it was super fun because she was so physical and it was a perfect role for me to fix this problem uh I don't remember what was the question that got us here. No, it, it wasn't <laughs> so much a question, but I was trying to get a. You, you had said it was a little bit of a sociopathic way to give um, the no, biggest problem yeah. to people, and I look at it as a co I, I coach middle school basketball, and it's something we talk about often, being a teacher yeah. and being a coach, because a lot of times I teach like I would coach. Like if if you can't fucking right. if you can't jab step. I'm not going to care about your feelings. It's not effective. I got two hours. Right. You got to get better at jabbing. Hey, dude, right. keep your left foot down. Not right. like, oh, you're having a bad day. So, Darby, you know, what you were really that? awesome with your jabbing. I loved how your eyes were. Just a little hint. <laughs> do, I, do I have your permission to make you better? Can you keep – like, I don't do that shit. It's like, dude, yeah, like I don't. And I – listen, and I think there's a lot of that in theater that I personally – I that would have never worked for me. Somebody has to, like, kind of grab – like, yank my fucking chain to make me believe right. that I'm doing anything wrong. What was weird about him was he would pull you aside 
like take a day where everybody's working on something. He would pull you aside one by one. He would sit with him in the back of the theater and he would tell you what was wrong with you. And he would tell you not to tell anyone that you weren't supposed to tell anyone what your note was, that this was the thing. It was like these, this weird moments of like secrecy and what it was really knowing him in retrospect, especially as an adult, really looking at him talking to 18 year olds and stuff like this, which I'm not trying to be like hashtag me too and this dude or whatever, but what he was trying to do is he was trying to develop this sense that he was like the arbiter of our career, that he was like the only person who could see what was wrong with us. And this is in combination with a lot of other weird behaviors. Um, Cause I don't think it's bad to give actors notes. I think actors fucking need notes. That's why you're there as a director, you know? And I hate, I hate directors that I can walk all over as an actor. Like, don't let me do that. You're in charge. You know what I mean? Well, like, I, I, and as an actor, you want to trust that your director is going to tell you what you need to hear to give your best performance. You would think especially yeah. at school because you should be around people who then can form, mold, and shape you. And you kind of creeped me out because I do that a lot with like when students writing. So I'm a reading teacher. Mm-hmm. Like I, I really – instead of like writing the comments on the paper because I don't know if kids get a ton of that, I do try right. to spend a lot of time like one-on-one. Hey, as we're going through your writing, man, this is what you should get better at. So oh, no. now you're putting me in the light where like I'm some no, no, creeper no, 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 no. perv with all these seventh graders, man. I'm, I'm no, 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 no. I'm fearful for my career. At all. No, I'm just no. kidding. I was just kidding. <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> but it's interesting but, though, because it's almost like a, if you wanted it to be, you could see it as like, almost like this opportunity to cause like this trauma bond. Right. Absolutely. And that's what years. he was doing. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was, he was, he would, and like for me, okay. Like one of the things he recommended that people read in uh, Auditions of Business was a book called uh, The Art of Seduction by Robert Greene. Probably heard of his book, 48 Laws of Power. So The Art of Seduction is sort of like, okay, here are some uh, archetypes of like seducers that exist like archetypally throughout history. Here's the type, like victim types. This is like where you look at somebody and you're able to diagnose their weakness, like what's going to work on them best. And then here are the techniques that you can use to actually do it, right? Well, it's like, there's this big caveat at the end of the book that's like, if you actually want a relationship with somebody, don't do these things. Because it's like, manipulative. Because, you're right, not, because you're, you're creating real. something that doesn't exist. Like, you are not a siren. You are not a dandy. You are not a natural or a coquette or whatever any of the types were. He's like, you are a human being, and you're never going to be more one of these things than the other. Um, you know, and also, like, don't fucking manipulate people that you actually want to be, like, in a relationship with, right? <laughs> well... My professor, I'm trying very hard to not say his name. I may accidentally say it. You may have to believe me. Um, because I ain't trying to. I ain't trying to get involved in all that shit. He's off somewhere doing whatever the fuck. Fuck him. But anyway, uh, <laughs> he fucked my friends. Fuck that guy. So you know. Um, yeah, that's it. it. No, I'm sorry. I was just trying to let you gather your thoughts for a moment because I pre. It's it's hard because to me it's like you're a fucking ass, man. And at the same time, you're like, uh, but I don't want to be an ass by calling you out specifically. Well, he, so it's a weird spot a, to be in. Let me go to the bathroom and then I promise we can talk about this. My own personal Me Too experience at length. I, I'm sorry. I have to drink a lot of liquids right now so I can stay awake and I got to go to bed. It's I'll right. be back. It's so nice of Zoom to have this little fix your uh, appearance filter. It's really nice of them. Are you on a fix your appearance filter right now? Uh, like just as much as this standard. I didn't realize it was on until I checked it the other. I was looking at my settings the other day and I was like, "Oh, that's on." I was like, oh, "Okay, I'm just whatever." I'm here. If not, I think I need to maybe start. I don't know. That's, <laughs> to be fair, this makeup is like twenty hours old. <laughs> it's pretty old. <laughs> it's it's um it, the the sun is setting on it. If you know what I mean. So uh, run it down. That's that's something. 
maybe it's the misogynist in me. Um, I don't know. Like I definitely like I'll shower before Zoom. I'll throw a little product in my hair, mm-hmm. but like I'm not. Um, I don't know if I've ever been like, hey, make sure you shave. Like I didn't shave for this. I don't know. That's off a sidetrack. <laughs> well, because I guess it's like it's misog- misogynistic of me to think like I don't I don't consider that, but females have to consider that. Ah, uh, yes. Is that misogyny in it's some not, weird it's not way? Okay, I get that's over- just male. That's just male privilege. Yeah, right. That's all I was gonna say. <laughs> then it's male privilege. I know it's something. You're actually, it's amazing, man. I want to like almost start the pod with like a drinking game with every time you cite someone's name, you have to take a shot. Cause I admire, <laughs> I, I admire people who can do that. Cause I really do struggle. I'll have mm-hmm. some information, but I won't know who or where exactly it came from. And I'm really amazed at your brain at this age, dude, where you're just fucking dropping all these names and these sites where it's, um, it's, it, it's super impressive to me. But anyway, so I knew I was, I knew I was a, a microaggression of something by thinking that, but I didn't don't, know what the proper don't worry about was. It. Trust just, me, we don't, I mean, if any woman begrudges you not having to wear makeup, like she's got deeper fucking issues. Or being empowered by not caring about yeah. my Zoom filter. Um, yeah. I don't know, man. That's a little bit of the, um. That's privilege. It's, Shut up. It's part, it's part of where government teaching at least in my circle is going where we get trained so much on like the consideration of everything where it feels very overwhelming and it part of me almost feels and I know it's it it, I don't know if it actually is white guilt but it's like you get very thoughtful and fearful of thinking or saying things because you're like there must be something wrong with that right you know I've gone through so many trainings to consider so many different perspectives and um, people where I'm like, fuck, man, can I just think, like, can I just say, wow, that sucks that you have to think about a filter? Or, like, is that yeah. something wrong with me? No. <laughs> Listen, you're, you're knocking on something that I've been thinking about a lot lately, that I've been tweaking about a lot lately. But here's the thing. I'm going to use feminism as the ideology that I'm critiquing here. But one could apply it to lots of ideologies, both on the left and the right. So don't take me as, for those of you at home, don't take me as, uh, being inherently critical. I just grew up in feminism and I understand it really well. Uh, so it's, it tends to be my example. So feminism, like a lot of ideologies, seeks to change the world, right? You want to create the world in a different image, different ideals, different yada, 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 right? So, and we're all eating the train, same trash can called ideology, okay? So, you know, everybody's guilty of this on some level. But what I find really interesting is uh, when I look at like third wave feminism, compared to like sort of like women's live 90s feminism or like late 80s feminism second or i guess it's really the third wave really the fourth wave now but anyway <laughs> just, just, like that's another thing where i'm like fuck man this is deep this is where i feel super over my head and i'm real clunky when i even try mm-hmm. to conversate the fact that i'm uh, like there's waves of this shit it's not all well, like, like one ocean what the fuck well, first wave was the suffragettes, and then people will tell you second wave feminism was, like, uh, the bra burning and stuff in the 60s, where, like, women's live, like, women's leaving, entering the workforce, the advent of the birth control pill, and then they would call what's going on right now, and or really what was sort of peaked with, like, fucking 2016 BuzzFeed feminism, which, like, God, how horrible to have that as a calling card, but that would be, like, third wave feminism, but I think that there's sort of, like, a 90s lib, like, women's lib, like, in the grunge movement. I was gonna say, because of the grunge, shit. right? Yeah. So I kind of think of, you know, that as, like, 
feel third wave, but I don't that's a don't tangent. But I I look at like nineties feminism and that's sort of what I got brought up on in a way. I would say because I was already pretty much considering myself a feminist before third wave feminism really kicked shit in the ear. Um and I was on Tumblr during like the Tumblr wars and, and you know it is really funny, like we joke about it all the time on Twitter that all Twitter is doing now is like it's like re uh, recycling like 2014 to 2016 Tumblr discourse about like uh, leftist ideas, and it's absolutely fucking true. I know because I was there. <laughs> I'm just seeing like the same things recycled right now, and it's I need people to take a deep breath because we did grow out of it on Tumblr. Hopefully, we can fucking grow out of it on Twitter. But anyway, so uh, feminism seeks to change the world, right? It seeks to say like, okay, in the third wave, feminism will tell you like men need to be cognizant of the way that they treat women in the workplace, right? So one of the things that makes this difficult is now we're at this level of uh, sort of like, for lack of a better word, like liberalism, right? Where it's no longer, uh, so like, okay, when black people are trying to get the vote, right? You put that on paper. Or when black people are trying to end segregation, you can write a law that says, okay, it's not like, like separate but equal doesn't work. We're not doing that anymore, right? You can sign that into law. You can't sign into law don't make shitty comments to your female authority, right? It's much more nuanced, right? These problems that we're, that we're trying to fix. And it's because we've gotten some of the big shit out of the way, which is good. But now we're doing like this little minutia work and it's a lot harder to, to like lay down laws and principles about this. Uh, it's like, well, what constitutes a shitty comment at work? Yeah. It's well, a mind, it's a mindset and it's an intention right. thing. And yeah, you're from... trying to, you're trying to win the hearts and minds. Here. And that is much more difficult to do. It, it's fucking paralyzing for me because I get so clunky. Because now, if I see you in a, if I want to be like, man, really nice hair, I'm like, oh my god, like, do I have the power to comment on your hair? Am I right. asserting my dominance over you because my opinion of your hair matters? Am I trying to come on to you? And now all of a sudden, you think I want to sleep with you, or? Do I just really like the way the part looks? <laughs> and I, I can appreciate, <laughs> like, man, like your your hair. Wow, naturally straight. That's awesome. And you're like, right. but oh, what does yeah. that mean? Can I just, like, appreciate it? Because I've tried to, I don't know, I fucked with, like, my daughter's hair. And I'm like, uh-huh. dude, it's right. hard and to get hair right. right. And I'm like, man, right. it just looks good. Yeah, but I don't know. So anyway, you were like, no, but, you're, but, but that's you're where I was. I'm, that you're, I'm paralyzed. You're something that's very real. Yeah. Yeah, it's paralyzing. Here's, here's what I want. I want feminism and, and most ideologies to stop working outward. I want them to work inward. So when I think about, let's say you do compliment my hair, let's say I don't like this compliment, right? I should stop you. I should say, hey, stop. I don't want to talk about this. Because it's not, it would it be better for me to say like, okay, you know, like whatever. Just because like nobody taught me how to stand up for myself than, you know, go off and be like, this guy's like a pig, he's like a whatever. Like, no. Right. It would be much better for me to say, listen, this behavior is not okay with me right now in this place. Okay. That like, and I, when I was 12 years old, maybe my dad gave me a pocket knife and it was like my job to carry this pocket knife with me everywhere. I went. Okay. Uh, because a people just need to have knives. Just in general. You got to open stuff sometimes. And I don't have fingernails. I buy my nails. Don't look at my hands. I buy my nails. So me especially, if I have a pocket knife around. And I, I realized later what my dad was prepping me for, which was to carry, like, a weapon. Like, to carry, like, a gun. Hmm. Because there is a point when you start to find yourself in a situation that feels a little bit dangerous, where you need to think, okay, do I need to escalate this behavior? 
So carrying this pocket knife gave me a very real idea that I could escalate situations if I needed to, right? And it gave me, an, I could start gauging how serious the problem that I might actually need to pull a knife on somebody at the moment, like to get away from them, whatever. Well, I figured out really quickly that I don't need to do that as much as I need to make a fuss. And this is something that we, we just train this out of girls. We don't let girls make a fuss. We tell them social niceties are the most important thing and it is your job to uphold them because they keep them safe. Well, sometimes those, those social niceties are going to get you fucking killed, right? So if somebody is threatening you in a grocery store, you don't let him follow you around the store and then walk out to your car. You go find another human being and you say, this guy is following me. You get loud. You have to throw a fit. You have to make a fuss. And these are things that we tell girls not to do, right? And can, we tell girls. When you say we tell them not to do, who is the we? Are you thinking like I families? Think is, is it like a system thing where in schools we're trying to make you compliant because it's an outdated educational system made for factory workers? <laughs> like, why? Where's that coming from? Because I, I, I've had this, I've had a couple people tell me stories about creepers at like a gas station. Like, oh, dude, I went to pump gas and this motherfucker talked to me for five minutes. I'm like, like 20 seconds in why don't you just be like shut up like yeah, that's very exactly. odd to me that that's why i'm curious where do you think that so, comes from part i did i grew up in the south i still live in the south i'm sorry i'm shaking the shit on my camera but i have to put my feet on something or i'll lose my mind yeah, it's i'm fine. a bisexual i can't sit straight so um <laughs> so there is this sort of like thing that at least i was taught it and i feel like it probably is more implicitly taught to girls than boys. Yeah, and could, I'm coming from a north place. northeastern perspective. So I've had females northeastern raised, just like geographically, like, oh, it's like the southern charm or hospitality. I didn't know if you were uh -huh. going there, but like the stories I'm coming with are coming from harsh winters, cruel fuck you attitude of the northeast. Uh-huh. It's just I don't and I don't I don't know. I think part of it is just like sort of uh like vestigial that like comes from the way that things used to be. Um, I think part of it is just uh, in general, women are much more agreeable than men. Um, so it is a little bit harder for women to like women are, and also women aren't given as many opportunities to practice being disagreeable. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't offer girls like uh, conflict the way that we offer it to boys in a healthy way. Um, you know, girls are probably much less likely to be uh, like, I would say girls probably, you know, it's much worse for a girl to get in a physical fight, you know, than it is for a boy. Uh, we explain away things for boys that help teach them conflict in a way that we don't for girls. Um, but this, like, this really stresses me out and this really upsets me because, like, I'm a young woman. I travel alone a lot because I'm going from one place to another. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Whatever, you know. And I, I, you know, you run into creepers. I'm gas station Barbie. Like, where do you think I got, I got that from? You know, what I mean, I'm always at gas stations buying cigarettes, buying Dr Pepper, buying whatever, you know. And uh, I look like this. So, like, uh, you know, people do take, people do shoot their shot at the gas station, you know, at me sometimes. And, uh, you know, most people are not, like, actual rapists, sociopaths, and crazy people who really want to, like, stab you in the parking lot. Most are people are just dudes who can't read a social signal or don't realize how threatening they seem. They need a hard So note. it's like, um, Every, right? every single so, guy is Jim Carrey. So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> Exactly. So I would much rather, I've been able to get myself out of pretty much every situation that felt dangerous like that by just being like, hey, I don't want to talk to you. Leave me alone. And for instance, uh, I was coming home from visiting a friend. It was I was at a gas station at like four in the morning 
and I'd never been at this gas station during this time, but a bunch of, a bunch of construction workers and stuff were in there getting like their morning coffee or whatever on their way to work. And I walk in and I'm the only woman in this gas station of like, like literally like a line of like 20. And I'm like, okay, if you ever want to feel like a, it's like that scene from a Silence of the Lambs where Clarice is like the one tiny woman in this elevator full of men in red sweaters. You know, it's like that, you know? And so I get my shit and I get in line. Nobody's bothering me, but I can tell they're all looking at me because, you know, whatever. And I hear this guy, I get almost up to the front of the line and I hear this guy out in the parking lot and he's like, holler in and he's just, he's not like being crazy. He's just like, oh yeah, I'm going to talk to you later. You know, being one of those dudes. And uh, he walked into the gas station and I was like, we're going to have a problem. Aren't we? I can just tell me we're going to have a problem. And uh, he said something, uh, he walked in the door and stood by the door. I paid for my shit and I realized he's standing between me and the exit. Well, there's like 20 dudes still in this store. Like, I don't think this man's going to do anything to me that these 20 dudes probably wouldn't at least try to stop, you know? Um, and also, like, you know, we're there, we're on camera. Like, I don't think I'm, I'm not going to be viciously attacked, you know what I mean? But I do think this could get uncomfortable or this could get a little spooky, you know? He could follow me out to my car. It could, you know, get more dangerous. And so when I got up to the door and I'm standing between me and the door, he said, God damn, you look good. He said, like, you're gorgeous. Like, you're such a pretty lady or whatever. And I was like, hey, I was like, I, I've got a gun. Like, I don't want to talk about this. And <laughs> Dude, that was just a fly. He's like, yeah. damn, girl, you look fine. And the next words out of your mouth are like, I have a gun. I have a gun. <laughs> but, you know, I wanted him to be 100%. Uh, I wanted to give him as much information as possible to make the correct decision, you know. <laughs> uh, and he said, and he said, shit, girl, that don't matter. Open the door for me. And he said, I hope you have a good day. Like, let me on my way. You know what I mean? And would that situation have been better served by me? sitting there panicking and freaking out and like whatever no but, but i you know i gave him everything he needed to know i said i don't want to or, talk i don't want to have this conversation with you and i have a gun so don't fuck with me he was or like, like okay. or, or just and like smiling nice. nodding and being like thanks and then yeah. continue where you don't really mean thank you right and it's like I, you don't want to give encourage you don't want to reward bad behavior yeah you, you never want to reward bad behavior but you also don't want to punish him for basically just being like kind of a goofball you know what i mean like he wasn't gonna hurt me. He wasn't gonna try to like bother me. I don't think. But I just, you know, I said like, listen, short end of this cup. Let me give you the short end of this stick. Uh, it ain't happening. And uh, if you try to make it happen, I'll hurt you. And he was like, okay, have a good day. You know, and I said, I said, you know, everybody said that don't change nothing. You know yeah. what I mean? Tap gives his chest there a double go. tap. He's like, respect. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> gives you the peace sign. You know, it's it's a uh, most people are not. You know, and you can't shame the shameless. That's the other thing is like you can't a, a guy that's actually a rapist, actually a piece of shit, right? You're not gonna make him want to stop doing what he's doing by saying, "Hey, women are people." You know what I mean? It's like, no, I want to see women empowered by their ideologies. I want to see women care, like get better at setting their boundaries, at being disagreeable, at saying like, "You're not gonna treat me this way. You're not gonna do this. You're not gonna do these things." This shit doesn't fly around because this was this was something that was really uh uh like. My parents really encouraged this in me. And my parents always said, you know, if you're ever in a situation that you don't like, you get a, you get a phone, you call us, and no questions asked, we're coming to pick you up. You don't have to explain yourself to them. And that was huge for me as a kid. When you're a girl and you're starting to, you know, you know, maybe be alone with boys and you're starting to, you know, these things are like, they're, and you're taught, like, boys are dangerous. Boys are dangerous. But they're like, you know, all your, all these guys, and you're like, these guys aren't fucking dangerous, right? And it's like, they're not dangerous. They're just a little dumb. They just don't quite know what they're doing, you know? And part of, you know, I, my first date I ever went on was 14 and uh, we went to the movies or he was, or no, I think I was maybe 15. He was 16. He had a car 
and we went to see the movies. I had a horrible, it was a horrible makeout session. At one point, I literally stopped and I said, "Hey, I really want to watch this movie." <laughs> what was the movie? <laughs> very sweet boy, very sweet boy. We went to the park and uh, we're walking around in the park, and it's dark. There's nobody out there. This is a uh, in retrospect of my 14 year old or 15 year old Darby. No, 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 don't do this. You know, but uh, he started getting a little grabby, and I was not comfortable. And I said, "Hey, stop." You know what I mean? Like, I don't want you to do this. Like, I don't want whatever. He was like, well, that's what I thought you wanted. Like, we talked about things like this. And I was like, it's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to do it in a park. <laughs> you know, like, no. And he got really upset. He got really mad. And I mean, for a second there, it like very much sank in with me. I was like, he's he was six foot two. I mean, he was a very tall guy, swimmer. He was really fit. I was like a pudgy, you know, I don't know what he's doing out with me, honestly. I was like a pudgy, you know, acne clad girl. Like, I was... You know, if he had decided he wanted to take something from me, he could have. Um, I, but, you know, he wasn't that person. And, you know, I would believe that more often than not, we don't, we aren't really on a date with that person. More often than not, it does happen. And I, I don't mean to take that away from anybody. Um, but, you know, what he needed was for me to say, fuck off, leave me alone. And so I started saying, take me home. Say, we're going back to the car, you're going to take me home. And that's exactly what he did. Um, you to, know, and. Take control of the situation. Because now you're right. directing and, and guiding the thought process. Right. And, you know, thank God that I felt comfortable doing that. You know what I mean? Because I feel like a lot of times what happens is people, and please, everybody, don't cancel me for this, but I feel like what happens is people, people are very good at justifying their wants for themselves. Uh, and, and that's how people justify doing bad things to other people by saying, like, well, I didn't know. Like, people, are, people will tell themselves all kinds of stories to justify their own behavior, right? When really what it is, is you just want something and you don't really care whether or not they want it, you know? And sometimes that's not, I want to hurt you. I want to harm you. I want to take something from you. I want to destroy your innocence. It's not always that. Sometimes it's just, I want this so bad that I don't really care. What you want. And that doesn't make it any better, but it does sometimes mean that you can grab them and like, be like, wake the fuck up. This is, this is not what's going on here. And, and then, you know, you sort of let reality back in for them. They're like, oh, okay, you know? I've seen that happen. And, you know, we've all been in a situation like that where you feel like you're about to do something maybe transgressive and then you're like, oh, God, like, ah, uh, ah, you know, like the sort of red haze of whatever feeling goes away and you come back to your sort of like rational brain. You're like, oh, God, yeah. I, can't, I can't believe I could have almost done that. that and that could be anything, violence, sexual, stealing, whatever, you know. Yeah, the you intensive. Know what I mean? No, yeah, because you get, and it, it's funny because I, I, think it's i don't know if it's predominantly a guy thing or not but i've always thought it was a predominant guy thing that intensive tunnel vision it, it's the dog chasing yeah. the ball where it's like that's the only fucking thing that matters and if anyone ever had a dog in a situation where there are people around or furniture around and you throw a ball that dog gives a fuck about any baby any old person any broken hips walkers right. any pottery uh -huh. it gets the ball uh -huh. and right. like dudes tend to especially in sensual situations their tunnel vision their tunnel vision mm -hmm. on going back to where they came from <laughs> that's all it's, it's all that matters to them and you right. see, what you're thinking is like it the the feminist empowerment should be focused on slapping those motherfuckers with cold water as soon as you're right. not good with it and you should always right. be able to do that because okay. you're thinking most dudes are going to respond with all right oh god my bad yeah yes and, you know, maybe I've just been extraordinarily lucky, you know, that I've never, I've, I've had, I've come into contact with monsters. I've been assaulted. Please don't make it a thing. It's totally fine. 
Um, you know, I, but most, many people have had it much, much, much worse than me. Um, and, but you know, I, for me, I don't really like the word survivor because to me that implies that it could have killed me. Fuck no, it wasn't going to kill me. It was an annoyance. It was a thing that hurt. I'm fine and I'm over it. Uh, I, I do, and I, I don't, I hope nobody takes from this that I'm trying to victim blame and I, or I'm trying to say that it's women's jobs to police the, the, tra- like the trauma that happens to them because it's not, and that's not what I mean. What I mean is that I want you to think about of the hundred out of the hundred times that, you know, something like this happens, you know, how many of those could have been prevented if somebody had been more clear, if somebody had been more communicative and, and had been, you know, and that had had somebody looking out for them you know, taking care of themselves a little bit better. And I, and again, this is not me victim blaming. I'm just, well, I think it's like a technique. I'm taking it as like a technique. And again, I'm super ignorant to this world as well, but it's interesting because I don't know. And I have an 11 year old daughter and what you're making me think of is what kind of hard conversations and like, fuck, not like role play, like, Hey, Shiloh, we're going to practice what you do in a sexual assault right now. Daddy's going to be a perp. Like, I don't want to do that. But I want to have conversations of like, no, Shiloh, like, why, why don't you curse at me right now? They're like, fuck right. off. <laughs> and like, I right. want you to have that, that inner knife in you and that right. confidence Absolutely. to be like, Hey girl, when you get this really weird feeling, this, this terrible feeling, this emotion, mm-hmm. I want you to empower that. And here's how you want to channel that to come out because nine right. times out of 10, it'll make the situation stop. You'll now gain right. control of the situation. So yeah, go, right. go ahead and tell daddy to fuck off. What, what's your best fuck right. off? <laughs> right. Let me hear it. Yeah, and I think, you know, I was really like, and for me, this came from, I was just a very irascible child. I think that's how you pronounce that. Um, you know, and my parents didn't, did, thank God they didn't beat that out of me. You know what I mean? Like not yeah, literally, yeah. but you know, or at all, <laughs> but they, they let me keep that because that's kept me safe. Yeah, and I'm really right. grateful for that, you know, and that's something that I hope people raising girls and children in general. Um, but especially girls, uh, we teach girls to make themselves small and to make themselves like non, um, participants and to make themselves like, you know, never break the rules. Don't or whatever. so much it's make like, waves. No, yeah, right. if you, don't don't make, any... you don't want them to take risks. And it's like, no, they need to be able to do this in order to keep themselves safe. We don't live in a world anymore where you're always going to be escorted by a man everywhere you go who can take care of you and make you safe, you know? Yeah, and like, it doesn't or, even have to be a man. No, I'm just kidding. But like mm, the, the figure is no, or like, like a group or, you know, shit like that. Yeah, That's what I mean. Where you're going to be able to physically, where, where you're going to be in a position of physical dominance or have something of physical dominance, whether it's numbers right. or just physical stature. But like uh-huh. without having this conversation, and I've had a couple of them. It's it's opened my eyes, the perspective that I want to pass on to my daughter. I don't know if I if I don't hear you say these kind of things. I don't know if I have that conversation with my daughter. And then I don't know if she gets that information for the situation right. that you're describing. And I know that's a lot yeah. of generalities, but no, but yeah, I, I I understand what you're saying. So it really makes me wonder, like, how many females are in those situations where dudes are just hell bent on pleasure and they've not been empowered or practiced to then apply a technique that would get them out of the situation. Right. I, I used to go jogging at, at college or we would, uh, a group of us girls would go running at night. Yeah. See, that's, we had a, we had a big track uh, on campus and a, a big like trail. And it was an awesome place to run and it was lit, you know, but you would occasionally run across like a group of dudes standing somewhere on campus who would think it was appropriate to yell at you, maybe menace you a little bit, you know, and, yeah, whatever it happens. Um, but like, I would go with these girls and they would just like not say anything, you know? And I was like, 
no, you got to stop and say something. You got to be like, no, we're not doing this. Like, fuck, fuck off. And they were like, don't, like, don't feed into it. Like, don't, like, whatever. And I'm like, no, you need to make it clear, like, this behavior doesn't apply. Yeah. you're going to run by here again, these guys may be here again. You know what I mean? You want to be like, oh, I don't fuck with that blonde one. She's fucking nuts. Yeah, <laughs> You know right? what I mean? Well, if, I, that's, if that's what you have to be, that's what you have to be. Whatever. And I wonder if, like, the, the apprehension or fear is, like, if I tell them to fuck off, they're going to get angry. And if they want to throw bows, if they... If they want to throw blows and come at me physically, they're most likely going to be able to beat me up. And like, I wonder, is that the hesitation versus what you're saying is most dudes, and I would kind of second this, like if, if some girl, if I'm like, wait up, that's got to be jam because jelly don't shake like that or whatever. And you're like, fuck off, man. I'm trying to get a workout in. I, I don't yeah. think I'm, I'm going to be like, damn, I just got put in my place. Never again. Yeah. I'm not going to want to escalate it to like physically, you don't talk to me like that. I'll right. show you and the man I am. Like, I don't think you know, that happens. You know, if you run into those guys, you run into those guys. But hopefully you're already dressed for running and you're just going to take off. You know what I mean? <laughs> or, or you know, and again, this normally happens. This kind of stuff normally happens in public. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you're in a grocery store and some guy's following you. Like, well, go find somebody yeah. who works there. Say, this dude is fucking following me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. remember that, you know, you have some agency. And I, I, you know, I, I hate to see, like, are these girls who are, like, you know, showing TikToks of, like, this guy followed me to my car, look how crazy and scary this is. And it's like, stop him. Don't go to your car. Don't go to a second location where he can get you alone. You know, like, don't do these things. And, you know, I, I, I hope that if I have daughters, which I know I may, I, I probably will, um, <laughs> you know, that I hope, you know, that they are just as irascible as I was, that they, you know, use that to protect themselves. And. I came by a lot of it naturally, but it, I was also very lucky that I didn't, nobody made me buy into the idea that I needed to be small or be quiet. Um, thank God, you know, because I would have been in much more dangerous, or the situations that I've been in that were precarious would have been dangerous. Um, but yeah, I, I want to I see it like work from the inside out rather than the outside in, because you can't really make the world a safe place, right? You can make it safer, and I do think the feminism is correct in trying to at least illuminate men like, do you realize that, like, you are physically intimidating to a woman alone? Like, do you realize that if you are walking behind a woman alone at night, like, that probably is frightening. You know, it's like, I appreciate that those things are being said because I think they can be, they can be illuminating, you know, and I think that men can make the world a little bit of a safer place, you know, feeling for women. And, you know, if you're a man and you're at a bar and you see a girl who's super drunk and some guy's trying to get her home, like, do something about it. You know what I mean? I think that these things are good and they're called to action that, you know, help protect, like, the most vulnerable. I just want women to do their part also. And, you know, on a certain level, there's a bill of rights. There's not a bill of responsibility. So I don't, I don't want to say, you know, that this is women's responsibility because it is your right to not be violated. Um, but I also want to see, I want to see, I just, the pragmatist in me wants to be at work both ways yeah, because then everybody's safer. Does that make sense? No, it does. I, I think that's really well explained. Um, because it's not like a one or the other. It's like a, it's a combination. Right. It can be both. Yeah, yeah. It's not an environment. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be nurture or nature. It can be both. The environment can get better and then you can have better techniques that would make you feel empowered, make you feel confident, right. make you feel secure. Absolutely. That, that's what I took from it. But I don't know. I'm pretty open-minded. I don't, I don't look to like get people. I like to yeah. let people speak and understand and assume most people are coming from a place of good, niceness. Yeah. <laughs> Most people are. Yeah, I think so. Um, but to go with the antithesis, just because before your second pee break and before your third, you, um, the theater director, did you want to talk about oh, that yeah. at all? You don't have to. I just, I can edit it out or. No, no, no. This is, uh, 
if I actually drop his name, please edit that out. But I, I do feel comfortable. I mean, you're making a lot of fucking editing work for me as it is. So oh. we'll see if I can. <laughs> like, suck it up, buttercup. Bitch, you asked me on. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, he, okay, so I came into this, I came into my theater department with the sole purpose of wanting to work with this man. I met him at, uh, like a, like students go in the audition for like 30 colleges at once, which is a really great thing. And I'm glad that it exists. Um, because it makes, for poor kids like me who can't travel to 30 schools, um, that was huge to be able to go and hit, hit all 30 at one time, you know? <clears throat> and thank God they do that. Uh, but I met him, specifically wanted to work with him. So I got to school, and I was really surprised when he basically ignored me my entire freshman year. Like, uh, I think he realized how desperate I was to please him, and this was his way of, like, exerting some power over me, like, making me even hungrier for acceptance of, like, uh, praise him because uh, he was he was good and he knew his stuff you know and I knew I knew that much from my classes but he just wasn't very impressed with me and I think he knew that I was just people being at least a little impressed with me um uh you know so I think and again this is this is I'm understand that I I have now several years of experience uh past this of like processing this and absorbing this and I've you know when we found out this was going on because it didn't happen to the freshman uh, it never happened to the freshmen. Um, it was happening to all of our upperclassmen who were our friends, and none of them knew that it was happening to other people. Because nobody was. Right. And the only reason they did come out is because one student, they were on a trip together, one student saw him basically make a move with another student. It was like, oh God, this is just me. And then he told someone, he told someone, he told someone. And then before long, there was like 10, 15 kids. And then alumni that they called, were like, this happened to you. That everybody was able to like understand what was happening. Wow! And you know, and they did it. And the seniors, you know, they took a like took a lot of personal cost here. They lost person. They lost professional connection. They lost, you know, time. Like he was removed during the last show of the year in the middle of the production. So they had to fly in the new director to finish the show. I mean, we all really suffered for this, but it was worth it because you know, after justice was served, he was sent away. He will never hold another position like that where he has people underneath him. Because he can't, and he did what he did there for six, six, seven years. God. Um, yeah, before anybody even figured it out. And, and you know, thank God those seniors looked at my poor little class of freshmen and said, "We can't let this happen." You know, and and I really, I'll forever be grateful. And you know, for that. because like I don't know what I would have done in that situation. I was desperate for the scholarship, desperate for. Them. I knew I knew I was not going to money. I was not going to school unless I could get it on a full ride. It just wasn't happening. Mm-hmm. And uh, especially to be an actor and to take on loans is even harder to be, you know, like a business major to take on loans. And to be an actor, you're signing yourself to be poor yeah. for an indeterminate amount of time, you know. <laughs> so it was even scarier, you know. And I, I don't know what I would. I think I, I. Sometimes I look at eighteen-year-old me, and she surprises me with her boldness, and she surprises me with certain things. Sometimes I'm surprised at uh, her weakness. You know, 18 is not a fully filled And I don't mean to say, like, 18 ounce can't treat like adults or anything like that. But I just mean, like, I look at that I'm like, God, to be in that kind of a situation, like, Jesus, you know. Um, but I I think about that experience. And to me, that was such a, a hero death for me. Because he was, he was like a hero figure. I mean, we all adored him, worshipped him. I mean, we lived and died by what he said about us as actors. And then, you know, to have him turn out to be this monster who hurt our friends so deeply. 
and you know theater departments I don't, this is true of all of them but mine was pretty small maybe less than 50 kids all together um so we and we have spent sun up to sun down with each other every single day i mean every single day we were up each other's butts on the sun but we knew each other you know super super well and to think about like my friends who had like problems coming into college to have those problems exploited by an authority figure it's just like it just breaks my heart you know um and you know some of these people i had known for you know one girl i had known for years before I came to college. She was another reason I went there. Because I was like, oh, I have a friend there. I had no person, you know, right. and then find out this had been happening to her, you know, it's just horrendous. And part of her was like, she didn't even want me to come. She was afraid it would happen to me. But she thought it was just happening to her. Yeah, that's amazing. When you talk about the size of the theater department, it's not like you can hide in public. Like you would think if you're spending this time together, you're making these bonds, you would be open or sharing these experiences. And what it's making me think about is what you had said other, uh, before about the empowering of no, fuck off. If you had a little more feeling of empowerment, you would talk about like how fucked up this is. Right. Well, that was, and that was another thing. He was such a, he was such a good manipulator. I mean, he really was, I think like a true, like Ted Bundy, like uh maybe not Ted Bundy, but like a. Jim Jones, Kool-Aid guy? Jim Jones, Jim Jones type. I mean, really, he was very good at working at home. You know, exactly what made all of this pick. I mean, and that's why I think it's so scary that I think about, like, how ignored I was my first year. And it's like, I was doing good work. I was doing as well, if not better, than my classmates, but I just never heard it. I mean, he just never said it. But then when he said it to everybody else, so I just remember thinking, like, I must not be working hard enough. I must be doing enough. And so it's like, it made me desperate for, like, uh, attention. It made me desperate for like praise. Feel like I was doing the right thing. And I think he knew that I was already that type of person coming in, and that was playing. Just so scary. Yeah. Right. And you know, it. it, it, it you know. And it fucking happens. To, People have weaknesses. You know. Yeah, and he would have to know about the fine, or would he know about the financial dynamic? Yeah, he knew. You need yeah. to. Yeah. So that's a whole nother aside from the personality yep. or the psychological, just the environmental of. I need you to sign this paper kind of a thing yep and he had students who one student was kicked out of their home uh and then lived with him for a summer and this this went on the whole summer lived with him and his wife and his children and this went on the whole summer i mean think about that crazy you know yeah that's uh that's weird it, you hear about gatekeepers and i wonder how um i listened to Quentin Tarantino on um, Joe Rogan's podcast where he was talking about Hollywood and I forget whatever the era was, 50s, 60s. It was about Harvey Weinstein. And it's very hard to- Harvey un- Weinstein's like the 90s and 2000s. No, yeah, but this was the, con- oh, you're talking was about, the okay, conversation. But he was like, Harvey Weinstein grew up in this era of right. in a screening room, the actress would come in and the producer had like a bedroom, almost like the truckers have their bed cab. Yeah, And it was yep. like, it was just known that you want to get this lead role. You go with director yeah. back there. He enjoys you. And now this is how you get to be a headliner. And the point of Quentin Tarantino was, I guess, making or not making, bringing up was like, that was like fucking common play in the fifties and sixties, that super misogynistic era. And then right. if you're coming up in that Weinstein and him doing it, no one ever fucking just called him out. Everyone knew, but no one, much like what you're saying, is like, knock it the fuck off. Stop. Yeah. Shit ain't right. right. And mm-hmm. it, it's it's weird to even hear about that in a college. The gatekeeper yeah. thing of, oh, 
you want this lead role. Oh, you can use my connections to help you get your dream. It's fucking creepy, yeah. man. It, it just, yeah. it's sad and it's creepy. And it just, you know, especially theater, theater asks you to, I mean, we always joke about it, but it's like, uh, business majors go into class at 930 on a Monday morning and it's like, okay, today we're going to talk about like, uh, candlestick graphs or whatever. And then it's like theater majors come in, it's 930 on Monday morning. They're like, Hey, well, why do you think your mom didn't love you? You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> shit like that because you, you, you have to do a lot of personal work to do acting work specifically and then theater work and art work and stuff like that. You have to be, uh, developing a sort of certain like ethos and um, like ideas about uh, life and art and how they relate, relate to each other and like who you are as a person, how that affects you as an artist. Like you have to lay yourself very bare, very vulnerable in front of, I mean, when you start school there, you're, they're strangers, you know, your yeah. classmates are strangers, you know, and you have to talk to them about that kind of stuff and it's hard, you yeah. know, like, you know, many times I stood in front of a class full of theater kids and cried, you know, just because like, that's what I needed to do that day to get through a block. You know, like, why did I, why couldn't, why would I never um, play any female character that was weak? Well, probably because I was terrified of being seen that way. Well, yeah, sometimes you got to talk about that in front of the class. You know what I mean? Um, so to have that especially exploited is what to me is so frightening in the theater world. And there has been a, a rash, a two movement of theater professors. I know of several students who went to places where professors have been ousted now for uh, very similar things. Um, or enabling abuse of the actors if they didn't do it themselves. You know, uh, I say actors, I mean theater kids in general. Right. You know, it's not like the techies are you know, completely like faithfulness or whatever, but uh, you know, you have to do a lot of really vulnerable stuff and uh, you're basically giving an abuser everything they need to know about you to be really, Yeah, right? right? It's, and so, yeah. Is it just like the the drunk with power the hubris of being a director or do you think like it's a personality trait where oh. fucking sickos are driven to like situations that they can control i think it's uh i don't think that most directors are egotists really most really are not i mean some are that has a connotation for a reason but i think <laughs> academic theater specifically is so there's such a power dynamic there because you do as a, an acting student you really do kind of like hand your your teachers like soul a little bit because and you're entrusting them with this because the work is not separate from you as a person um in a very real way that it's it's maybe not that way at a lot of other disciplines you know but uh like i did our town um when i was in school and one of the the director, I played the stage manager, which is normally a, a male character, but uh, stage manager is sort of like a narrator figure who sets up the town and, and tells you the tale, right? Well, we decided to connect the, the stage manager to the main character of the play as being like sort of, she's she's reading this out to her like, great-grandmother's journey. So we connected the two of them, and I, at that time, my grandmother was starting to suffer from dementia. So I was thinking about this, you know, in a very personal way that you know, this was me trying to put together, like, collect my grandmother, trying to come to the grips with her own mortality, and that I had a limited amount of time left with her. And, like, could I tell her story the way that the stage manager is telling Emily's, you know, could I do that? And, you know, I sat there with my professor alone, it was just me, the professor, and the stage manager, and I cried about this and for a really long time, and we worked through a lot of it. And it became a very personal role for me. It's one of my favorite roles I ever played. It's one of my favorite performances I ever gave. And I'm so proud of it. This was the different director. Um, 
to let you hang to see if you could keep rambling and go. It was interesting. <laughs> I, I'm it was interesting I'm stream of thought, man. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's funny, the, the emotional depths. It, it's funny how much of this conversation focused on emotion, and I didn't know yeah. what it would focus on. But it's, it's also interesting, and I guess I would call it funny, that it seems a little, or not general, for people to be that in touch with their emotions. And it makes me, I don't know, think of like, substance abuse and I guess just overall abuse and how much 
less abuse there would be if people spent more time with themselves thinking about that shit. Like, I wonder if I were a poem a day for a year, like Mm -hmm. in my head, I'm like, would most of them be angry? Would they just be stupid jokes? Would they be like observational? Cause like, fuck, what do I write about today? Oh, there's a red curtain. The curtain is red. The traps is blue. You know, like Uh it'd be interesting to see. And then you'd actually know what you're feeling versus having these feelings that you can't really express. So they get expressed through another drink or right. a, a smart ass comment or breaking something or aggressive driving right. or whatever. Right. Yeah. It'd be well, I, you know, I was like a really bullied little kid. So I spent a lot of time by myself, like just, ex- and I was bored in school. I was too advanced for, I should have skipped break, but I didn't. Thank God I didn't. I had all these years just sitting and living in my own head. Which was so good for me. And so, <laughs> you know, I, and I think we've robbed kids of boredom, you know, we give them iPads and we say, yeah. don't be bored. Don't bother me. No, let kids be bored. Let them figure things out. Let them sit with themselves, you know? And like, Dude, it's, and it's such a, it's such a gift that I was able to do that, you know? You, and it's so sad to see the car rides. If you pull up next to someone on a highway in the minivan and the fucking TV's on or, and then like you realize they're not even going for like hours. It's like, you're just going to the grocery store and you got to fucking throw on Teletubbies for your yeah. one-year-old or two-year-old or four-year-old. Like, dude, let the kid look out a window and just fucking think man right like it's okay for them you're not a bad parent if your kid's bored yeah kids don't need to be stimulated 24 hours a day seven days a week yeah it shouldn't be the lack of stimulation is is good it's good for you yeah i mean it it will drive you mad if you know eventually everybody does get tired of four-year-old questions but you know like uh it's not a bad thing to you know sit quiet yeah let your mind wander just notice all sorts of weird shit what so acting wise where do we get here I don't know where like there's something I was going to say that I've lost. Well, originally it was in a, not a dark place, but a, I guess a serious place just about the empowerment and the bond. And I'm oh, like, okay. do sociopaths we about are sociopaths. That's what, that's what yeah. It, it went everywhere. Yeah. I'm curious uh, about your acting like aspirations. Do you hope, do you still, is this something you pursue like community theater? Is it just a cool part of your life? And you're just going to see what happens next. Here's the thing. <laughs> It's a tough question to answer because I don't 100% know the answer. Uh, I, uh, acting is a rich kid's game. Ideally, you want somebody to be able to put your ass in an apartment in a city where you can audition nonstop, go, 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 go. Can't be done other ways. That is the ideal way to do it. That's never going to happen to me. I'm always going to have to work. I am uh, what we might call lower class. <laughs> and... <laughs> There is no, there is no money to send me away to do anything, and that was why when I graduated, I moved to Oklahoma. I worked as a bartender, you know, I made very good money. I didn't intend to stay there for three years. Uh, I actually had an intention to move to Atlanta and start auditioning in earnest last uh, August, and then a little something happened in March that you may remember that made that plan uh, not feasible, especially not for a bartender when all the restaurants were closed. So I stayed in, in Oklahoma a little bit longer, and then I, uh, through a whole course of events, I ended up back where I'm at now, which is Arkansas. So uh, not exactly a metropolitan area in Arkansas, really, would be a Kind of one in Fayetteville, kind of one in Little Rock. Not where I'm at. Um, stay the least. Uh, if I never act, believe me when I say this, Sean, if I never act again, ever in my entire life, it will have been worth it all those years. I mean, from 13 to 21, working my ass off, set up to set down in theater, it would be worth it because it taught me so much more about how to be a person and how to be alive, how to be an artist, 
that it ever really taught me about acting. And I'm immensely grateful for the discipline for that. It is exactly what I needed at exactly the time that I got it. Very grateful for that. I would love to keep acting. It's a little bit harder to do now that I'm in the position that I'm in. But I'm also writing right now in a way that feels very good, very fresh, going through a lot of stuff. The writing is helping me process it, helping me figure it out. And that's a gift all its own, you know. Uh, I, you know, I wrote a movie that got into a small film festival a couple of years ago, that, or in 2020. Oh, that felt sure. really good. That felt like affirmation that maybe I do actually know what I'm doing as a storyteller. Was, because it's all storytelling. Really. Yeah, I was wondering, is the writing more like fiction? Is it movie scripts, plays? Uh, I would say I'm not writing nonfiction. I'm writing everything else. <laughs> I like poetry. I like uh, screenplays. I'm currently work, I'm 75 pages into a novel right now. We'll see if it ever takes the light of day. Um, uh, you know, who knows? But I, I had a crisis of meaning a couple months ago, and I was like, oh, God, I spent all my time doing theater. I'm not doing it. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm a failure, blah, 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 whatever. And then, you know, Nice when my I love my friends for this. They were like, "Okay, hey, first of all, you're 24, so you can <laughs> calm down. That would be great." And part of that is another. That's a, that's this deal for acting, is that I, I'm like, "Oh God, if I don't be successful by 22, I'm going to get old, and then nobody will cast me." It's a bitch. Calm down. Kathy Bates broke out at 40 years old. You'll be fine. You know, um, it's cool. You know, uh, so like I'm trying to find some peace with myself about that. I'm trying to integrate. If one of my friends gets me that I'm a failure, they will be like, "You're 23 years old, calm down." You know, I just don't extend myself that same grace. Um, but the writing right now feels really good. It's kind of like what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, I'm working this graveyard job that enables me to sit behind a desk eight hours in, in the middle of the and read or write as much as I'd like. Um, and also, it's a fantastic fodder for interesting stories. Uh, um, it's a I've had I've had a very I've had a very hellish last few months. I moved here with a boyfriend. Don't have that boyfriend anymore. Um, I moved to a, a new place. I'm in a house. I own this house, not this one, but I own a house. Um, uh, you know, I'm, so I'm a homeowner for the first time. It's just me and my three cats versus the world. You know, <laughs> three cats versus and the world. I love my cats. I love my kids. Um, you know, I'm single for the first time in a really long time as an adult. Adult. You know, uh, it's um, it's been a lot. You know. The pandemic's still going on. I mean, it's just a very turbulent time for me. But it feels better than anything I felt in a really long time. Opportunistic. It, it's, it's something that's astounding. It's probably too, like, um, hyperbolic of a word. But, like, it's astounding to me that graveyard shift, eight hours, you use it to read, write versus what I would do, which is get Game of Thrones done in a week and a half. <laughs> yeah. Right? And well, it, it's awesome, man. Thank you. Stephen King um, advises that you, uh, if you want to write, you tear your TV out of the wall. Um, it sucks your time, man. I, I, it really, it makes, it's an experiment I want to do with myself where if you just took away the screen, like if you eliminated social media, you eliminated TV, everyone feels overwhelmed and there's never enough time. And you just wonder how much time there is if you just well, removed all that stuff. You spend two hours a day on something. That's a month of the year. Right. Two hours a day. Two hours. You know, what, what's my screen time? Normally, like nine hours a day with a picture every time. It's like music, like that. But, you know, like I just moved into this house. I actually, that's why I'm here because I don't have Wi Fi yet. <laughs> and I don't have TV service. 
uh, so I've got two TVs in my house that don't pick up anything. They're just black, you know, they're decoration right now. And I kind of don't, I'm not super, uh, like, in a rush to get them hooked up to anything. Um, I do need to get Wi-Fi. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, you know, just, just to be a person. Um, but, you know, I have a record player. Uh, I play my records. I like to sit on my porch and read or write. And uh, my cats like to sit in the window and be mad at me for being that close but they can't touch me. I, you know, smoke cigarettes and kind of watch the traffic go by and listen to the neighborhood kids play. And it's like, it feels very good. You don't let your cats outside? Oh, these bitches, listen, they came from the streets. I domesticated them. Oh. I'm not I'm not turning them back into what they were. Okay? Oh, come on. <laughs> they were absolute hellions, all of them. It's their, it's their nature. That's what they're designed well, to be. How terrible would that be? Like, it's you're torturing their souls. You're no, going to turn them into sociopaths, dude. I have been I have been told that they, since they were indoors um, for most of their kittenhood, they missed, and also, it's pretty clear all three of them got taken from their mothers too early, but they missed probably a very uh, important milestone in their development where they would have learned to be, like, outdoor cats. And so now they're, they're, they're born. I've been told this, I don't know whether or not it's true, but I also don't trust any of them to find their way back. Oh, uh, They're, listen to me, I love them, they're not that smart. Even for cats. And one of them is, I think, legitimately, I don't think it's all knocking around up there. He fell out of the, I was driving, I was working a little delivery job after I quit my big job, and uh, he fell out of the undercarriage of the truck in front of me in traffic, bolted, got hit, and then I followed him into a parking lot, and his leg was, like, broken, swinging, and he was completely skinned up, fucked up, like, terrible fleas, like, thin, I mean, diarrhea, he was, you name it, he had a fucking problem and this happened on a Friday night. I remember thinking, I don't have the money to take him to the bank. I just quit my job. I was like, I don't have the money to take him to the bank. I don't know why I need to take this fucking cap. I'm like, I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do. I'm just going to pimp down, like, whatever. And I, I kept him in a closet all weekend away from my other cats. And all he wanted was just to be held. He was so pretty and blue eyes, very pretty boy. And I was just like, oh, God, what am I going to do when I, I take him on Monday? They tell me to put him down. And I took him in on Monday. And I just, you know, all, and I already followed him up over the weekend. And I was like, God, you know. And they took him inside to the bags. I couldn't go in with them. And they, like, I waited for like two hours. Finally, they came out and they were like, "Hey, we're gonna uh, splint his leg. You can pick him up tomorrow." And I was like, <laughs> too easy. "What? Like that's it?" And they were like, "Yeah, yeah, we dewormed him and did some other shit, you know, but he'll he'll be fine." And I was like, <laughs> "You know, whatever." But uh, he's fine. I mean, he's not all there. Clearly, that falling out of that truck didn't do him no good. But um, he's fine. He's uh whiny and needy and traumatized but he's very precious and he's very pretty i won't keep him around like this but uh you know and the split was only 60 bucks i mean it was like a gift from god it's like god said god said okay if you'll take this poor sad sack of shit i guess i'll make it cheap for you you'll give you know? a discount <laughs> i'm just you're you're drunk with power over these cats i'm just I so shocked am. that you are the gatekeeper of their fortune for such a selfish reason of having company I'm really not. I'm just fine. But I do I do love my I do love my stupid ass kids. The stereotype. Just to perpetuate yeah. the stereotype of the lonely lady with a bunch <laughs> yeah, of I'm like cats. Yeah, I'm like a twenty almost twenty five year old single lady three cat. It's good to get through that phase early in your life. You yeah, know? so hopefully this is an end game for me. 
when they pass. It doesn't it doesn't continue and like now you've got three hundred cats by the time you're whatever, forty five, yeah. fifty, seventy. Yeah, hopefully not. The three I'm done. I already said I don't care how cute they are, I'm not taking any more and I'm done. Dude, I've done enough. That's a lot of cats for inside the house. I can't imagine the litter box situation. That's what always irks me. Like I'm cool with dogs because you can go on a leash, they can take a shit. Uh-huh. Maybe you scoop it, you throw it, right? But poop scoop. Uh-huh. There's a little debate as to whether it's better for the environment to let shit just disintegrate versus put it in a plastic bag, right? But whatever. Uh-huh. The litter box situation with cats to me is just gagging. I well, we've come a long way in, in litter. Have we? I will tell you that. Well, yeah, we've got all these like synthetic like crystal litters and stuff where like pee just evaporates, so it doesn't even smell. All you gotta do is scoop the poop, you know. And like the litter will tell you like it'll turn different colors if there's anything wrong with their pee. Like we've come That's a long sick. way with litter technology. Oh That's yeah, so scientific. Do you have like the self-scooping? Do you have one of those like $5,000 Tesla litter boxes? <laughs> I'm not that rich yet. Plan it on it. Gonna get there. Um, but right now as a single cat mom of three, you know, um, I don't have quite the money for those luxuries. But I do use like one of the crystal litters and it's actually not bad. It's really not. I can't get there. I can't get there. I like cats. <laughs> I had mice problems and I thought about grabbing a cat. Um, but then I was like, fuck it. Baits or the poison's cheaper. I'll just throw it down. <laughs> Get a bunch of mice dead. It is really nice as long as it lives alone. I don't have to worry about smashing the bug, you know? Because I just, I'm like sick and it's like three fur covered heat seeking missiles. You know? I had a wasp follow me in the house the other day and it was like, I'd watched three, I just watched three of them chase it back and forth, back and forth until one of them finally got it. Then they all three sat around him and like watched him die. No I was shit. like, I love, it's like, yeah, I was like, I love you little bastards. Like, Dude, I would not have thought hate. that. To go after wasps, huh? that makes sense. I would not have thought that, that, that like they'd go after a wasp like that, but I guess that makes sense. They have no fear. Yeah, right. My, my children have no fear. I feel, I feel like I'm the mother of dragons a little bit. I'm a say, little bit well, Daenerys with these three cats. <laughs> yeah, right? But like felines, the mother of dragons, yeah. um, it doesn't roll like the mother of felines doesn't roll. Quite roll up the tummy. Yeah. But there's definitely, I don't know. Well, I'll have to work on that. But I do, I do sit in my house and lounge on my couch with like three cats, like, one on each side and like one on the back of the couch less on my shoulder and I just feel very powerful. <laughs> on command? Wait, did, did they, when you said sick, is that like a real thing? Do they I actually really do. On I command? really just snap my fingers and point and they'll go find it. Stop. They're very well trained cats. I, for cats, they're very well trained because I just, I don't like unruly animals. Yeah, um, that's that's another so, turn off for me. The cats. Like they never fucking listen, man. Dogs are so compliant, so obedient. Good. Just because I got them all very early, which has a lot to do with it, um, and also because I I don't suffer fools and I don't suffer unruly cats. It makes me sound abusive, but I mean I'm just very I'm very good at structuring. You know, this will always have a consequence, so they understand that this behavior is not acceptable. Yada yada. And I and you know it's like I, I swear to God it's like they wait for company to come over and then they try to act out. You know, but like most of the time I can be I can see something happening out of the corner of my eye, snap, and they'll stop. Right now. Yeah, for the most part. And they all know their names. Like, I don't do the hear kitty kitty thing because then they don't learn the names, you yeah. know? So they all know their actual names. So if Feline hears, Feline, she's like, <laughs> freezes. Shit. It's about yeah. to go down. <laughs> yeah. And one of them even does party tricks. Scrappy, um, if I sneeze, if you sneeze, he meow. Stop. So, oh yeah, it's like he says, bless you. I'll send you a video, I promise. Um, <laughs> so I'm just like, achoo! And he's like, ah! you know, he's like, it's so cute. You know? <laughs> Uh, there's still little shits, you know, and I don't really master, you know, I can't really master a cat, but they're about as close as I think you can get. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. You're actually kind of, I don't know, 
reviving my passion for adopting one. I don't know if they're as prevalent over there, but in the fucking country over here, man, like you can just drive down the road and see 30. It's almost like a second world country where you go to Mexico, you just see dogs everywhere and never cats. Yeah. I don't know what it says about America, rural America, but fucking feral cats, man. They're. Oh yeah. No, they're, they're a problem everywhere. Yeah. All right. I'm also the queen of like pulling over and like trying to catch them. And I'm pretty successful. Do you You know, I caught two, two of my three. Do you carry treats? Do you have treats in your glove box? Uh, I used to, I don't anymore. So, I should probably get. To, I should probably put some in there. No doubt. What's your, like, yeah. I pictured you as Rocky. I don't know if you remember, like Rocky the movies in the backyard chasing like chickens. Rocky. Yeah, <laughs> it's me chasing feral cats. Right? Like, is it going down like that, or are you just, like coaxing them with milk? Uh, normally, I just get really low, and I I also sometimes you know if I have like extra fast food left over, yeah, right. uh, that smells really strong, so they can get them close to you or whatever. And once you get them eating, most of the time you can start trying to touch them. You just have to be very slow and careful. Cats are very, cats aren't like dogs. You know, cats are very. Yeah, cat, actually, talking about your feminism, the type of feminism you want is cat feminism. Where, yeah. like, those mother, they, they don't suffer a fool. Cat will let you exactly know when they're done with you touching them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's over. It's cat over. Feminism. There's you're, you're like never. Cat feminism, that's so good. Dude, there's never a mistaking consent with a cat. Nope. Like, they, they'll let you know exactly where you're at. Absolutely. That actually is a pretty decent. Yeah, it's a good metaphor or analogy or whatever. Yeah, good. Right? Yeah. All right, Darby, um, let's end the podcast with this. Okay. You've told a bunch of stories. I have. Feel free to be thinking of one right now. Interested okay. to see where you'll take this. Can I get your best first for last? We've saved the best first for last. Sponsored by Abstinence. Waiting makes it worthwhile. Best first for last. Oh my god, I knocked my laptop off. Uh, uh. First time I broke a laptop on a podcast. <laughs> oh god, my best first. Best first. Uh, do you just mean like experiences, uh, ideas? Is there anything for you going to guide me any more than that? Or is that just what I've got to call? I try to leave it open and ambiguous. Um, I actually, what I did last night because I'm a total dork while watching Game of Thrones. I took a bunch of the best first for last from all the other, from just a random ass sample of guests to make like a compilation mm-hmm. um, that I'm going to post maybe in a week or so. So okay. I, I normally don't put any parameters on it. I just like the idea of when you're getting to know someone, you typically get to know a lot of their first experiences. And I like the alliteration of best first for first last. For last. Yeah, I like that. <clears throat> and when the aliens come, it'll be, or maybe some like psychiatrist somewhere will, a uh, behavioralist will analyze all these podcasts and be like, oh, <laughs> this is where people's minds tend to go. Huh. Okay. I think one of my favorite stories I wrote in a poem. Can I read the poem? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let me look it up. Give me just one second. I, I, got, I have to find it on my blog. <laughs> Which no one can have access to because all the poetry there is there. Uh, but don't ask. Don't ask in the comments. You're not getting it. No, no blog address. It's just a personal blog. It's like, what, if you're like the uh, psychopath that keeps mementos all for yourself, never to share. Yes.
So I was, this is sort of a moment of like realization that I had uh, at the poem I wrote about it. <clears throat> and I really like this poem, so like, you know, don't, I don't know, nobody tries to steal it. I guess, I mean, I, I guess I'm very clearly proving that it's mine, but uh, it's never been published or anything. Yes, it's uh, sorry, my blog is full of so many, so many poems. Hard for me to find, hard me to find the one I'm looking for. You've got such depth and breath <laughs> in your writing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, where is that, this one? Dude, that could almost be something too. Like when you were like, "Come for the TNA, stay for the Q and A," right? Like Q &A. the the depth and breadth breath could easily be like breast and what, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Come for the blank and breath, stay for the depth and breath. <laughs> they were the bed and breakfast. <laughs> okay. So I wrote this when I was 19. Um, again, not very super well developed, but I'll just read it. Okay. <clears throat> this one's called The Ballad of the King's Day. <clears throat> when I was a little girl, my father and I would go walking in the deep of the woods in the dead of the summer. The Arkansas sun always got trapped between the top of the trees and the brush below, the air as silent and stifling as my father's presence. Once we came upon a thick, scaled black rope stretched in our path. I'm sure I didn't shriek, not this man's daughter, but I gasped and stood behind him, peeking round, trying to get a glance at my expectation of fang and rattle, and found none. My father crouched, giving the beast distance. He told me it was a king snake, and I asked him what he ruled. He laughed and said, snake. He pointed out its belly, distended with beast, and the lethargy of movement of the glossy black scales. He'd had a meal. And by the few missing scales where his blood dribbled on the great width of him, he'd earned it, too. He told me how the king snake would not bite, not unless he was scared, or they were protecting their birds with helpless eggs. They ate mice and rats and small things, but mostly they ate other snakes. I asked him if they were poisonous, he corrected, venomous, but said they crushed the other snakes with force and ate them after. He turned to me and told me to leave king snakes be, always. He turned back, headed for home. I always walked behind him, and often he would tell me stories of his youth and how to keep watch. This day he was quiet, militarized countenance pulled tight. The thought of my father and the wars he fought before my birth felt at once and knew him a little better. <clears throat> Shift to the shape of a serpentine eagle in order to do good. It takes a snake to know a snake, a glossy dark behemoth, to find the adders, cobras, and cottonmouth, and kill with strength and trickery those that kill with venom. Takes a forked tongue to set a silver one, and deceitful action to detect deceitful intent. I will teach my children someday to leave the king snake's feet, to lend the black serpent respect, and let them on their way, so that they understand one day they may have to eat people too. That good, dude. I mean, it's, it's such a good picture. It's so fucking wholesome. Yeah, and. What inspired you to write it, 19? Because it seems like that's such a young place that it came from, that I'm wondering, like, what was going on that 19-year-old Darby uh, wanted to express that way? I think, again, this is, like, my second year of college. Really, maybe even almost my third. I was, like, I'm young for my age. Like, I was always, you know, like, I was 17 when I was in college, and 13 when I lived in there for weeks. Um, well, that's why they think... wouldn't let you skip any grades, bitch. Yeah, I know. <laughs> fucking doogie hauser late birthday here. problems yeah <laughs> but for me i think at the time that i wrote it it felt uh i think i was realizing 
that I had control over my own life in a way that my parents did when they were my age. And I was like, oh God, like they were here once too. And then I think about, you know, like my dad wasn't too terribly much older than me when he went into the military, when he was a desert storm and all that stuff. And to think like of what he saw, what he did, and then he came home and was my dad. There's a whole version of him that I don't even know. And that to think about something that a man who raised me, you know, that I don't even understand these parts of him. And, but you know, like, there is a sort of, I hate the sheepdog analogy because I don't think it fits. I don't think it fits. I think king snakes fit better. Just have to be a killer. You know, do what you have to do in the military. Like that. And uh, I don't like the idea of a sheepdog. It's too noble. It's, it's not noble. Or is it noble? Um, I'm not familiar really. with the sheepdog analogy. It's it's something popularized by American Sniper where it's like if you're it's like there's sheep and there's wolves and then but occasionally there's a sheepdog. Somebody will stand up to the wolves to protect the sheep. And I don't like that because it paints this picture of nobility that I don't I don't enjoy uh, falsely attributing to wars uh, have to be fought and that's a terrible thing. But it doesn't turn them into sheepdog. It turns them into things. You know you have to be that which you need to destroy. You know you have to take the shape. That which would do you harm, because you don't you don't get to be a noble hero. You have to be a killer, and uh, I think that's for me. You know, I, I look at my my dad was such an enigma. I mean, like we talk about, uh, you know, Bambi is very much like a picture of what it felt like to be a kid in the fifties. Your dad was sort of this authority figure that's larger than life. It didn't really do a lot of hands-on raising, right? And then your mother raises you up until a point, and then then your dad takes you over and he's got to teach you what, what he, he has to teach, you, you know? And I had very much that experience because my, uh, my dad was worked a different shift. I, I didn't see a ton of him when I was like really young. And then I feel like I became a teenager and suddenly I was, I was getting like the dad and I was getting like really like what my dad had to offer me, uh, in, in my raising. And so I, I looked at that experience as, uh, so much of a gift, you know, like my dad just taking me in the wood and we just walk quietly together, you know, and he would tell me, you know, like, hey, what's at your six o'clock? What did you just pass? What's this? You know, like, you know, and these things that I take, you know, so much for granted now, they're like a part of my running routine, so I operate and I walk through the world. And, uh, you know, he taught me those things. And my dad was like, you need to carry a pocket so that one day you can carry it. You need to be as fearsome as you need to be to survive. And that he trusted me and my judgment enough that I was raised right enough that I would do these things only if necessary. That, you know, he instilled upon me this, like, discipline. That I could be whatever I wanted to be if I was willing to work hard enough. That I could walk through the world in a way that I trust myself, trust my own judgment. That I could, I didn't have to suffer fools. That I didn't have to take things that I didn't want to take. And that I, I could be tough. And that he believed that I had potential in me all, all along to do this. And so, you know feel like you're sort of like Lily soft um, as a kid. And then my dad said, no, I know what you are. You're mine. My blood is in you. And you can be as hard as you need to be. And that, that was such a gift. So this poem is sort of, he, it's really sweet. He's really not a very lucky man. Every year, uh, he posted this poem when I wrote it. That's crazy. Every year when it comes up, he reshares it. You know, and tells all his friends about it. He really likes it. Well, it's a pretty badass poem. Like it is very emotional, but you could also get the 
the ferocity yeah. out of it. Thank you. What um, Good. what was his reaction when you read it to him? Aside from like the social media, I didn't things? read it to him. I just said it. Uh, I think my father would he would have blanched it at reading it to him. He's really? interesting. He's, he's very, very sedate, extremely sedate, very reserved. Um, uh, the military. I think he was like that even before the military, honestly. Uh, so even more so now. And uh, I, you know, I, I I think about these things and. I am so much, I'm so much like my mother and I get, because I look like my mother, people just say that I'm like my mother, but I am like, like him in this way. My dad has this strange sense of uh, dignity about, he doesn't want to, my dad would never try to treat someone in a way that robs them of their dignity, which is something that I really like about, you know, currently working in like a mental health field. I, I don't ever want to embarrass people. I want to leave them their dignity, because your dignity is so important that you feel like you're a person that has more than that's value, you know, have somebody, you know, so vulnerable when you're in space, like when you're in like a mental health facility or something like that, you feel like the bottom of the barrel, somebody to treat you like, you know, like that, that's where you're at. You know, like that doesn't help. You need to give people their, you need to give them their space, give them their respect. That was something that, you know, my dad demanded of us and I learned very quickly to demand of others for myself and that I want to give to them. That's like the, that makes sense. yeah, but that's like the antithesis of be a killer. Right. It's such but, an interesting contrast. Yeah. Because, you know, at the end of the day, like sometimes you do just have to make hard decisions and do terrible things in order to accomplish what you need to accomplish. But you can, you can try to be as dignified as possible while doing what needs to get done. Does that make sense? It does. It does. That feels like, that feels like the, the my father's chief ethos, and I think it's become mine in a lot of ways. Love it, man. And just on a very selfish level, my daughter's at the point now where it's annoying. Like I have to force her <laughs> to spend time with me because she uh -huh. like, kind of wants her to do her own thing. But I've had um, just speaking with people, hearing about things like you almost need to force your kid to go through things. And I, you seem like you would willingly go through the woods and go for walks. Right. I was also forced for, to do things. Yeah, right. I, I, would, I would say that. Oh, yeah. I, I think it goes to raising the kids versus stimulating them with the screen kind of a thing where I'm like, those looking back later on when people reflect, like those are the moments that shape humans, that shape people, that give you an identity, that give you a foundation, that give you inner strength. Absolutely. And I wonder how many parents are like, oh, just leave them on their phone. All they want to do is be on their screen all day and like the kids get left well, there versus like... Well, Fuck you, man. Get outside. We're going to go do something. <laughs> you can do it with a sour-ass attitude if you want, but it's well, it's so done. It's so funny to me that people are like, oh, society's so broken. Things are so fucked up or whatever. And then they hand their kids a phone and let society teach them what they, you know. It's like, do you want your kids to be raised by society? Because that's how you do it. That's yeah. what you're doing. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, I wasn't raised by society. I was raised by my fucking parents. And there's a big difference. Yeah, right? You can watch some TV. That's cool to watch movies. And that'll yeah. influence you. Should, you. you should be able to understand, like, yeah. the cultural body that you exist in. But you, that they sh it shouldn't be your teacher. It yeah, shouldn't it should be, be your, your parent. Yeah. No, no, no. I love it. That's what the poem reminded me of. And that's why I look at it as, like, that wholesome. What's the – because you would know the name. Is it Norman Rockwell, the – White picket fence. Norman Rockwell. Shit, yeah. Yeah. Like your poem is almost like a Norman Rockwell-like-ish poem of uh, idealism. Right. Of family. And just like, yeah. I, I think most fathers, I, I would think most fathers, I find it myself all the time. My daughter tells me, she's like, 
does it always have to be a lesson with you? <laughs> and I'm but like, yeah, yeah, that's, it does. That, that's, yeah. that's my fucking point, man. I'm sorry. Like that's, that's, yeah, that's what I'm, you want. Yeah. My whole and job thank is you to for it fill your mind with shit and make perspectives. And yes, everything right. has to be a lesson. And I'm like, fuck man. Sometimes I guess I, I have to like stop myself, but I'm like, I don't know if I should stop myself. Cause if I'm not giving you the lesson, who else is? And I want you right. to have my lessons. Right. You know, she'll thank you for it. One day. She better. <laughs> just kidding darby man so fucking awesome i'm so glad i had no idea the philosophy i really had i known i would have prefaced with bingo for four syllable words and <laughs> shots every time a name was dropped or cited man it was um it, it's fucking impressive 24 fucking impressive man Thank you. Thank you. That means a lot. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on, letting people get to know you, um, for giving up your time and for staying up. Of course. Um, I really appreciate okay. it, man. Of course. I, thank you. It's been, it really has been like a pleasure. You're a great person to talk to. If you want to do it again sometime, holler and we'll try to make it happen. I know it was difficult enough to do it the first time, but I would love to do it again. Awesome. Oh, thank you. That means a lot. You ask, you ask great questions. You're very, it's some people you get on and it's like, why do you want to talk about that? That's not even interesting. Yeah. You're, you're lovely. Oh, it's great. Oh, so sweet. So sweet. <laughs> All right, man. Well, enjoy your nap. I'm going to enjoy my dad. Absolutely. Have a good one. Uh, send your daughter uh, very strong vibes with me. <laughs> <laughs> She's going to get them today in earnest. I can see it. You know what I'm saying? Like, you almost got, like, empowered. Now it's going to be, like, uh -huh. Dragon Ball Z, just, like, shooting fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks again. It's been real. It's been fun. Bye. Bye. On the subject, I like Thanks to Andre Psyche for supporting the Getting to Know You pod. Listeners, search him up. It's Andre Psyche, P-S-Y-C-H-E, on social media. Give my man a follow, just for the fuck of it. Thanks to BetterHelp for supporting the Getting to Know You pod. Join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about by going to betterhelp.com slash getting, the number two, no, the letter U, and you, dear listeners, are going to get 10% off your first month. Remember, the link you're looking for is in the description. Thanks to Shady Rays for supporting the Getting to Know You pod. Listeners, the promo code GETTING will get you 25% off your purchase at ShadyRays.com. That's promo code GETTING, G-E-T-T-I-N-G. And if you just want to give us some straight cash money, shout out Randy Moss, you can go to our Patreon and support the pod for as little as $2 a month if you've enjoyed getting to know any of our guests. Don't forget, subscribe, rate, and review the Getting to Know You pod on Apple, Spotify, or your preferred podcast platform. If you have not already, please friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Thanks for listening. Later.